fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Nice. Nice. Put it in deep. You know, getting pucks deep, putting the puck deep. Put pucks in deep. You can never go wrong with getting pucks in deep. Just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Pucks in deep. Pucks in deep. Puck deep. Pucks deep. Keep getting pucks deep. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Pucks in deep podcast. Episode 69. Nice. Welcome back, my friend. You're you're on your feet. You look fired up. It's been a it's been an interesting couple days, I guess, or last twenty four hours or so. <laughs> well, yeah, last twelve hours. I mean, prepping for the podcast has consumed most of my time and attention. Of course, <laughs> you being the responsible preparation man that you are, this podcast does not live without your your prep. Even if one time, I think you just literally put up the bones of the prep, and it was like a subtle. Hey, we're getting back to it here, so let's get a prep going. You know, sometimes I keep it loose, but sometimes I, I like to get a lot of facts in there. We want to make sure we get our facts straight. That's a good, that, yeah, that's a good call. And I, I like to fancy myself as the fact-checking guy because I go in there and I toss in all our hyperlinks so that we can quickly click on them when we're podcasting instead of looking like idiots going, how much does he make again? I don't know. Let me Let me hammer on my keyboard. Little shout out to Alex Hobson there, host of the co-host of the Shanna Clan podcast. Well, if I wanted to look like an idiot, I probably would have declared victory at <laughs> two a.m. last night, <laughs> saying this is the greatest podcast on the planet. I think you would be well within more within your rights to make that claim than your than your boy Donnie JT. Don't call him my boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I always reference him as your boy whenever I'm talking to somebody who you know, who, who I have political conversations with the, the amount of people on that list is not very many. So anytime it's about, you know, Trump, nobody seems to like the guy yet. The vote is apparently close, but not really. I don't know. We still don't know. We have no idea. The votes are coming in. They're coming in so quickly and we have no chance to count them all. It's well, yeah. I mean, as of, as of <laughs> the middle of the night, the guy doesn't want the votes counted. And then, or no, he, he, yeah, he wants them to stop counting. And then later today, he wants them to count, you know, as far, as long as they can to, to try and figure it out in some of the states, in just Arizona and wherever else he thinks is competitive, Nevada. But no, stop counting in Michigan and Pennsylvania, where they foresee the mail-in ballots will go in the favor of Joe Biden. So uh, as of right now, it's looking pretty Democratic right now as opposed to... You know, earlier in the day where we didn't have any answers, but last night was an experience, man. It was a roller coaster of emotions, and and speaking of roller coasters, the betting odds just go all over the place. Yeah, did, mean, you, did you get any of that action? So I didn't because when I looked at them yesterday afternoon, I figured Biden would win and it'd be close. Biden was favored like plus, or he was like minus three something, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm not really feeling throwing money on Trump. And then by the time I go to bed. It's, I think the highest I saw was Biden plus 400. I wake up in the morning and Biden's back 
as the favorite and Trump's the underdog. And then as the day has gone on, I'm, I'm pretty sure the last I saw was Trump was plus 500. Yeah, there was, I think it was uh, about a half an hour window, maybe not even, maybe not even that long where Biden was at plus 395 and a guy that I know in one of my chat groups grabbed him at plus 395. Like, yeah. I don't understand what happens. I mean, I know Vegas odds are built from the, the betting, from the, from the bets that are laid down. So I guess everyone's just going in to, to hammer Trump and then all of a sudden Biden's lines get, you know, a little juicy for a little bit. And I think when people saw a lot of the red on the map, uh, they interpreted that as, and, and not factoring in the details. Um, I don't know if you were watching the, the magic board last night on CNN, but that John King, he's the MVP of the election, let me tell you right now. Yeah, I, was, I didn't catch it. I was watching on ABC, but now everybody's talking about it today. Oh, it's just you should see him f- rifle it off. He's just zooming in on counties. And his, his knowledge of U.S. geography must be unbelievable because he's just <laughs> picking up little counties. And the one thing they really tried to explain is say, hey, a lot of the votes uh, that we're getting right now in certain states, and mainly those states that flipped today in Michigan and Wisconsin, was uh, they're getting all the rural counties, smaller numbers of votes, got those in. But the results in the urban areas where the Democrats traditionally do better had not come in yet and hadn't even been received or counted or anything. So when those states were red, they were missing millions of ballots. But it seems that the gambling sites and the betters did not necessarily maybe do enough in-depth analysis to recognize that because even even at that time, you know, later in the night where it looked like Trump probably was going to win or could win, the you know, a lot of the the veteran analysts and guy, you know, guys like John King on CNN are saying this is why we count, this is why we wait and would zoom in and show you like this is why this could swing the other way. Yeah, and what he's and, got everything up on a big magic board. Yeah, they have this big screen. screen, touch screen. He's zooming in, zooming out. They got two of them. <laughs> he's like one for like showing the U.S. map and and doing hypotheticals too, flashing back 2016. Here are the results. Like it was we incredible. Flip this one. If we flip Michigan over to a blue state, then we need another five percent. Like it seemed like yeah. it seemed crazy. And not talking about anything else. Like just that in-depth analysis was cool, and it, it made it so addicting. Whereas like even though I knew nothing was going to happen last night and nobody nobody was going to win. I still stayed up till one o'clock in the morning with the, the laptop on uh, uh, in bed there. Really, yeah. I I think I pulled the plug around eleven or eleven thirty. It just I, I knew that we weren't going to find out, and oh, to it was be a waste honest, of my time. I don't know, it, like I don't know if I want to disclose this information or not, but I was kind of just tuning in to see if anything was going to go down. You know what I mean? Like it was live news, like we had reaction from across the country, and like election day and. I was just wondering like what kind of crazy shit was going to happen and I didn't want to be sleeping in the middle of the night if if something went down. We declared victory or we said something was fucked up and and that of course both of those things actually did happen. Yeah, there was a victory <laughs> declaration made quite oh, prematurely in the middle of the night. Man. Which was you know they'd said later that they his a lot of his advisors had said don't do this. Because A, you look like an idiot, and B, there's still millions of votes out there that haven't been counted. I heard his advisors have t-shirts with that imprinted on them. They probably should. Don't do this. Yeah, it's bold strategy, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off. All right, well, listen, seven minutes of political talk. No more for this guy right here. Um, Cut me off. We're going to head back to the sheet of ice for episode 69. A very exciting episode, uh, a very sexy episode, if you will. 
Uh, we got the man rocket himself, Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, Channel 91. Uh, he's a host of the afternoon show. Right now he's working the power play because the power play guys are on vacation, which is great. Two hours of Jay Con on Sirius Radio. I highly recommend him. Uh, he's coming in the later half of the show. Unfortunately, Lesko, you're going to have to bail before you get a chance or before I get a chance to start talking to Jake. So, uh, but that'll be a, a fun playback for you, I'm sure, anyways. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I teed you up with a few questions there. So I, I didn't saw leave that. you completely in the lurch. I saw But uh, you're, you're an excellent interviewer. So you're usually in the driver's seat in those situations. So I felt like I could trust you with this and ah. you thought you can handle it. So. I saw that. Yeah. The initial text wasn't like, Hey, let's push the episode. I can't make it. You're like, ah, yeah, I can't make it anyway. I put a couple questions in there. You can tee it up with Jake. I'm well, like, we can't, oh. ju- we can't just big time Jake either. Be like, you know, book a guy with a real job in sports media and be like, <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually on second thought, we got to postpone. Uh, but yeah, listen, so we got Jake tonight. Uh, and then if all goes well next week, we should be dropping an early podcast again, just a bit of a tease here. Uh, we've got a pretty sweet guest on the on the hook. I, I'm almost like I mean I am positive he's coming. We've already been texting. It's all good, but uh, really excited to bring that. And it's going to be pretty golf heavy. So if any of our listeners out there are golfers or enjoy the sport of golf at all, uh, listen. If you're one of those people that's like, oh, golf is boring. It's absolutely terrible. You are incorrect. And the Masters is coming. And it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be Masters in November. The looks are going to be different. The patrons aren't going to be there. The lines that these players are going to be taking, Bryson DeChambeau, for example, carrying the ball 403 yards. It's going to be insane. As you can see, I'm already getting pretty excited. So our next uh, guest for next week is going to talk a little bit about that with us as well. Really excited. Let's go. Fire, Fire me something right now. I'm on the go right now. Well, Losing don't, don't be don't be fooled, folks. Uh, despite all the golf talk next week, there will be some significant gambling talk, and there also might be talk of this a certain individual's career in the hockey world. So that's about as all I think I'm going to tease for that episode next week. A uh, bit of a surprise here and a bit of a big deal for the Pucks and Deep podcast. So we're really looking forward to bringing you guys that. Uh, to the sheet of ice, like you said, or to the boardrooms of Arizona. Mm, again. I mean, like, okay, I don't got to say it. Everybody knows it. This organization is the perennial dumpster fire. Just when you think they're getting some momentum, make some good picks, make some good trades, hire some smart people, it all comes crashing down. I mean, we had the John Chaka fiasco in Coyote for the Coyotes. That was a complete debacle right before the return to play in August. Uh, and then we have this story, which turned out to be the biggest story. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say that Chaika d- divorce was messy. Very messy. And, in, and more than likely is going to end up in some litigation because it sounds like there were some contractual disputes um, as to whether or not he misled them about the nature of the interview that he was partaking in. Okay. Because uh, allegedly it did not involve anything to do with hockey, but it, it was a higher-up job with a sports company that owns multiple teams. So to a degree, it was hockey-related. Right. So anyway, won't get into the semantics of that, but tr- terrible divorce. And going into the draft, I guess, without a GM is not a great strategy because they did not have picks in the first three rounds, so maybe they thought they'd be okay with it. But who do they pick with their fourth round pick? And it, it, to be honest, 
Yeah, but don't even get there just yet, yeah. Lesko. Let me interrupt you sure, because go ahead. don't forget about the fact that they didn't have any picks because they lost them for cheating and knowing too much information about their draft picks. Right. So I will break it down for the listeners here. I've got it. Um, just a little breakdown of what the what the reason is behind the draft or lack thereof for the Arizona Coyotes. So their first round pick, they traded for 44 games to Taylor Hall, basically, and lost him to free agency to Buffalo. Lost him for nothing. Nothing. Second round pick, they forfeited, as you alluded to, due to uh, the NHL combine violations, whereas they were essentially fit testing players outside of the draft period. I feel like they don't have the budget for that. Are they just flying guys to like Sault Ste. Marie to go put an OHL guy on the VO2 monitor? Like, what are they doing? Well, I don't know. I mean, you find a couple of families that you reach out to, and they're willing to book a flight. Hey, how much can your son bench? Well, I don't know. I mean, you, like, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Like, you, you talk to a young kid, and you, you get him on board with, hey, man, we really like you. We think we're going to pick you. And maybe this kid's not necessarily something that was going to even go in the top couple of rounds. And you've got the Coyotes telling you that, you know, you can come out. We'll put you up in a hotel. And I don't know. Like, it makes sense for the kid to be like, yeah, I really want to do this. Oh, I would have done it in a heartbeat. It's not like, their I fault. Don't, I don't care. You try and impress you know, yes. any team that takes an interest in you. Yes, exactly. And it's interesting that there's no, as far as I'm aware, repercussions for any of the players involved. We don't know who those players are. But uh, really dumb way to lose a pick for a team that's uh, perennial, basically nowhere. They're in no man's land. They've been in no man's land forever. They're like Minnesota. Yes. You know, just they're just that. hanging out in that. Purgatory. Not, barely a playoff bubble team every year, so on and so forth. So their third round pick. They traded to, I believe, Colorado for one season of Carl Soderberg. How'd that work out for you? And the fourth round pick we finally get to, rights renounced. Now, that's an interesting thing, but I'm sure all you hockey fans out there have heard of this story before as it really dominated the headlines over the last couple of weeks. Their fourth round pick, Malcolm Miller, um, it's interesting. We know this kid's name, and everyone does because otherwise you wouldn't. Mitchell Miller. Sorry, Mitchell Miller. I, why did I say Malcolm? Who's Malcolm Miller? Malcolm in the middle. No, there is that. Is that is that their names? I just love so much that you're like, you know, everybody knows his name because we obviously. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even fucking know his name. Well, who's Malcolm? Is he a rapper or something? Like, why did I say that? I don't know. Anyway, Mitchell Miller. Yeah. So this. This kid fucked up. Let's get into this. Yeah. So this is going to take a while. All right. Everyone's heard the story by now. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you heard the story. Yeah, we don't need to break the okay. story down it's to disgusting. them. Let's just react. It's absolutely disgusting. And I didn't read it till after the draft, but allegedly the Coyotes knew. They said that in their first statement. So the Coyotes go out and release a statement once this hits the media and gains some traction and the family of the victim speaks out. Okay. They knew. They knew. And they go, oh, well, teachable moment and trying to move things forward and help him, help us, race relations, so on and so forth. Okay. If I'm a PR guy, I'm like, this is fucked. We I'm need to investigate. That's all I'm saying. If I'm well, that look, guy, we yeah, need to say, look into this. Let's look into this further. But and instead, they doubled down. Yes. What I'm getting at here is if they looked into it and they were led to believe we are aware of the incident. It was a one-time affair in high school where he, you know, made fun of a kid and pushed him over 
And, you know, the kids laughed and he was 12 and it was something that, you know, we didn't believe was going to be an issue. Okay, fine. I can get on board with that. Why are we canceling this kid for bullying that happens every day? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm having a difficult time getting on board with online when I'm reading people who are saying like, holy fuck, here we go with canceling this kid because of bullying. I was bullied too. and I'm sure everyone did a little bit of bullying here and there. Yeah, we all did a little bit of point and laugh. Okay, point and laugh is a lot different than piss on a fucking sucker and make you lick it. Yeah, not to mention the racist garbage. And this kid was convicted for it. That's how, that's how bad this got, that he went to court and was convicted of this shit. Like, this is bad. Yeah, this is really bad. Really so don't give bad. me nothing about canceling because something that happened years ago. It happened four years ago, not a long time, and... I mean, I think the thing most upsetting, once again, I'm going to go back to the Coyotes organization, is that they knew. And then they doubled down on it. And then two days later, when the outrage grew and the family spoke out some more, then they go, well, after learning some more things about the story, and I I do, I'll give them some credit. They cited the victim and their family in their second statement. But like, if I'm the PR guy for the Coyotes, I'm like, this is fucked. Like, you're, you're going to make me defend this knowing full well in 2020 you ain't getting away with this. You're not. Like, you're not. And if you're talking about trying to build bridges and inroads and the conversations we've been having around uh, a race in, in, the, in the sport of hockey, it's not going to fly. So what do they end up doing? Two days later, after putting out the statement doubling down, they drop him. And two days later, three days later, he gets uh, a little bit interest uh, the KKKHL starts sniffing around oh my god what a gentle jab there hey him and Bill Peters two peas in a pod man I'm sure they'll get along just fine yeah you're right anything goes in the in the KHL um honestly dude like oh yeah because the university dropped him too that's Who's right had him for how many years couple years that's probably right, right? Um, you know, someone I was again reading online, uh, this is terrible. Like, I don't condone what he did, but now we're, you know, robbing this kid of his future and, you know, taking his scholarship away. And I thought to myself, like, all right, listen, scholarships are earned, are they not? Absolutely. Scholarships are earned, Absolutely. not only through having great grades, but also being a model student. And there's you know, more to it than just being good at sports, being a great peer. You are representing that school, they are paying you to be there. And they can revoke it for any fucking reason they damn well want. And and, and to say that, you know, he, he can't change and he's, you know, going to be branded this way forever. I, I don't necessarily think that's true either. What I think is true, though, is that it is a extremely amazing and unique privilege to be able to play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. There are... I mean, I guess soon there's going to be 800 or so odd men that are able to compete at an NHL level on a nightly basis per year. That's it. 800 per year. And they come from all over the globe. And if you've got time to be this racist, bully piece of shit, then you absolutely do not fit the mold for what is an NHL hockey player. Yeah. I mean, and some like, of them slip through the cracks, let's go. Some, absolutely. Re, you know, some POSs out there slip through the cracks and they end up playing, but they're not, I don't think you'll find another player in the league that did something like this well, been outside of, of hazing. I know hazing is exactly. a crazy thing. But it's been convicted. And, you know, it's in the public record what he did. And the judges on record are saying, you're not showing any remorse. Yeah. And in yeah. the sentencing. So, 
what uh, there's two things I want to point out that that upset me about this. Number one, he's like, I guess they said something along the lines. Well, he wrote a letter to all the NHL teams telling them how sorry he was, and yet the family came out and said this kid has not apologized to us once, and this was years ago. So that is a huge fuck up. Makes you look even worse. It makes you look like you're just trying to put it behind you and you know continue to snake your way into the uh, higher up in hockey. Yeah. But the other part that bothers me is that the Coyotes, okay, and and we could talk about lack of guidance or organizational structure, not having a GM or whatever. But somebody had to say something because there were there was a reporter who did an article who said who he consulted other teams on this kid Miller, and they said, "Where did you have him on your draft board? Did you have him ranked? Like, what did you think about him?" And numerous teams responded. I think they said around half of the NHL said, yeah, we found out what happened. We dropped him off our board completely. Wow. So where are you as an organization that you're like, yeah, you know, like this is not 1996. You might have got away with it in 1996. You can't do that now. No. Like they had to know. And this team that's really trying to turn the corner with new ownership, who is, I might also add, you know, one of the only Latino owners in, in pro sports as far as I, I'm aware. Okay. Okay. So I, like, I just don't understand how this can happen. And, and, and given the, the struggles and the problems that's plagued this organization for years, this is a big time fuck up. We hammered on them last week or whenever our last episode was. <laughs> we, we, I remember hammering on them then and not even really feeling that bad about it. And that was before the Mitchell Miller thing. Yeah, exactly. And and that was, I think, in the context of, oh, wow, they tried tried to trade OEL. They're, apparently, they got Kessel on the block. So let's take it to the ice for a second. What is this team right now? Oh, it, I, we went through this last episode. Like, it's, we it, don't it's, know. It's not it's Is this not a rebuild? Great. Is it? I mean, I guess they have to rebuild, but they. I feel like they've been doing that for forever. They only Since, have... Since for eight years, if I if I had like if I asked you right now to tell me how much cap space you thought they had, what would your answer be? You'd think they have a lot, but I know they don't. <laughs> they don't. They have two point seven million available in cap space. Like it's it's insane. I don't understand. Yeah. Now this is the final year. There's going to be a, a ton of of you know contracts either falling off or I, I don't know. They're going to have to extend a couple guys. There's a few RFAs in there. It, it's uh, it's it's a real mess, dude. Yeah, I know Armstrong's got his uh, he's got his work cut out for him there, just because I feel like he's got to undo the damage that Cheka did while he was there, i.e. the Kessel acquisition, obviously this draft of having no fucking picks, um, so on and so forth. The list goes on, and you look at the depth chart of that team outside of the defense. There's not a whole lot going on there. No, and you know. I'm thinking like they're trying to trade OEL, really? Like, you know, brutal contract, okay, but I feel like I feel like you can afford to float that. So I, I'm not sure if that's just them trying to cut payroll. Yeah, but man, or, they could or got, hit the reset. They could have got a fucking boatload of shit and for they could Ekman Larson, man. They had they had apparently two suitors in Vancouver and Boston couldn't pull it off. <laughs> We're having the same conversation we had last I know, episode. We, should... we, we have to move on from Arizona. Okay. I'm um, probably let's... even going to pick Jake's brain about Arizona a little bit. I got to get his opinion. They're just a hot topic right it, now, It's man. fascinating. Much like, uh, you know, uh, a year and, and other episodes of this show, we spent a lot of time in the Ottawa centers because it's fascinating when they, when they constantly find themselves in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Wrong reasons. Uh, I want 
want to take it over to the OHL. Everybody uh, loves a train wreck. We look at uh, being in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Uh you know politicians here in Ontario don't really want to get on the wrong side of hockey fans, knowing that that's a large demographic of the province. Right. But there was some discussion centered around the OHL potentially returning to play. I know the CHL as a whole is very up in the air right now. Um, there aren't really any concrete plans, and it's a lot harder when we're not talking pro hockey and there's not the amount of money involved. But the minister, I believe it was uh, uh, Christine Elliott, I believe, the health minister, had confirmed onto her, or at least had a, appeared to confirm that it was agreed that if the OHL was going to return, it would be without body contact. And this set off a fury online. And so much so that when have you ever seen Bob McKenzie directly address so, like, quote, tweet, and add two other subsequent t- tweets questioning a politician on a, on a decision related to hockey. Like, it just, I felt, I, I thought that because Bob weighed in, especially him being semi-retired and you think he's just lounging right now. Right. For him to weigh in that heavily, I really spoke volumes of how idiotic this idea is. It can, how can it happen? It, it just can't happen. I, I, I don't understand why we're even here having the discussion. It simply can't happen. I, I remember having this discussion when some of my hockey buddies were talking about their men's leagues and whatnot, and the rules for their return to play was just ridiculous. But they did it anyway. They, they did it anyway because they had to get on the ice, but it was like a stick length and three on three. It was the immediate return was it's crazy, ridiculous. right? So now they're going to allow the the five on five, right? So I guess they're going to allow the five on five, mm-hmm. which means that there's 10 fucking guys skating around, mash, you know, getting together, maybe not mashing yeah. into each other like I was going to say, but, you know, they're fighting along the boards. They're getting, they're getting after it in front mm-hmm. of the net, like... And that's one of the things I, I wanted to know. point this is to. So dumb. Okay, we're talking about body contact being an issue. Puck battle in the co- in the corner involves a lot more uh, close contact of breathing on each other than a hit does. Absolutely. And that was one of the first points that really resonated with me because at first I thought, okay, I think I get it, and then I re- read into it, and I'm like, no, this makes no sense whatsoever. Just thinking about the game and how it's played, it makes no sense. No, I mean the only thing that I can think of is you know if you and i collide and we're both going in opposite directions then our bodily fluids are more likely to eject and land on one another yeah i, right? I it's, it's absurd and there's no way a i know ohl is a very rogue league and david branch does whatever the fuck he wants yeah, he does. but i do not see the ohl a agreeing to that because the exodus would be massive i mean i've already seen articles and Leaf Station out there saying if, if the OHL allows body contact, Nick Robertson cannot play there. If you're trying to prepare for the NHL, there's no way in hell you're going for that. You're going to Europe. You're going wherever you can, US, USHL, college. And we've already seen that with CHL players. You mean we've like seen, somewhere where they're allowing the contact? Right. We've seen CHL players right now due to the uncertainty and guys who are trying to make NHL rosters have already opted to go elsewhere because... They don't know what's going on in the OHL. So you add this layer to it, you got to think uh, there's a number of players who are like, I don't know how to play without body contact. I'm a defenseman who a big part of my game or why I was drafted is because I'm a physical defenseman. I am playing here. Yeah, I actually read, um, well, I didn't read the whole thing. I quickly 
I clicked on an article earlier that spoken was spoken like a true millennial. Well, it was something along the lines from a a, a kid in the uh, in the junior ranks. He was saying, "I I don't know how to play." That's right. what I saw was the quote. I don't know how to play otherwise, which is really an important point. Like, I'm sorry, but hockey without body contact is basically shitty. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's the all star game, but yeah, it's, but, it's, it's but, pick but, up. But, but what I'm saying up. though, what I'm saying though is, you can't really get an all-star game with the intensity and the emotion of a game that means something, right? Because we all know the, that the all-star game doesn't really mean anything. The guys want to show off and sure they want to win the car or the fucking money or whatever it is. But talk about like, you know, actually having games to make playoffs, to win the series. Like you just can't get there if you're not allowing these players to, to, to hit one another, the, the, the game, the nature of the game, it's, it's completely different, right? No, no it's, I not, should, it's not even the same game. I should add some further context to this as well. Uh, so shortly after, I think it was a day or two after, uh, Premier Ford actually came out and said, we've actually not reached any agreements, nothing's official, calm down everybody kind of thing. It's still being talked about. And I'm not sure if that's a backpedal, which this government's been known to do on several occasions on several different issues, but it's really hard to discern now because it's like, okay, was there agreement and they're backpedaling? Uh, was it just a, a discussion behind the scenes that all, all of a sudden got thrust into the public view? It's very confusing what's going on, but I've got to say, if, uh, if I'm going to throw a prediction out there, I say there's no way in hell the OHL is coming back without it. Without body contact, I would it's have just to. Just too agree. absurd. I would have to. It's too absurd. It's supposed to be the best development league in the world for the NHL, and you can't retain that title if you're not playing actual hockey. Fully agree. End of story. Very right? good. Period. End of. All right, we'll move on then. Um, I did want to bring up quickly. Uh, Mike Tyson is fighting again. I don't know if you're a Tyson fan. I know we were a little young when he was the man, and he's a very colored character with a. a kind of a bit of a dark history but he's a very interesting man as well um huge fan shout out anyone who watches mike tyson mysteries on netflix probably the finest show in the world but uh, i thought you were about to say huge fan of the pucks and dave podcast yeah if we could get him actually he's got a podcast called hot boxing and it is very great to listen to okay um, so when nice. you're done listening to all our episodes you can you can check that out um, but so he's fighting Roy Jones Jr. I believe in some kind of charity oriented event. Yeah, later this month, um, right? I saw him training. I follow him on Instagram, and I was like, "Wow, he's, the guy's still quick." Iron right? Mike, Iron Mike, still quick, still got it. Okay. Interesting to see. Well, he hasn't fought in like twenty plus years. I know. And, you know, and this is a fight which would have been amazing twenty years ago. But uh, I mean, it's Mike Tyson. It's it's going to have the draw. Like I want to see it. I kind of want to see it too. Yeah, absolutely. So apparently. George LaRock made it publicly known recently that he wants to box Mike Tyson. George's. Former George, former Montreal Canadiens, Edmonton Oilers. I wow. uh, don't know where else he played. Phoenix, I believe, as well. Yeah, you're Heavyweight right. Heavyweight champion Maybe of the, the NHL Rangers? for a while. Uh, he wants to fight Mike Tyson. And apparently, uh, as of today, he said that the fight is about 75% done. So it sounds like it is happening. So much so that there are betting odds already on this fight. They've got LaRock at plus 350 and Tyson at minus 500. Wow. And I, I will, just to put that in a little more context for you guys, George LaRock is 43, Mike Tyson 54. Who, who do you think comes down with that? 
Mike Tyson. The Rock is 6'4", 245, and Tyson's 5'10", 218. I mean, it just has to be. It has to be Tyson. Well, right? it's, I mean, it's, there's just no way. You're just going to get knocked the fuck out by Mike Tyson. I, you see you see the way he throws punches, and you know I, I've watched documentaries about him, and I've seen his old fights, and even just watching him spar right now, I'm blown away that the speed is still there at his age. And and considering all the drugs and partying that guy's done over the last, I don't know, thirty years. Week, yeah, or a week, <laughs> I'm yeah. Just like, kidding. I know yeah. he's clean. Look at him go. Oh no, this is this is uh, Roy Jones Jr. Yeah, he's so he's fighting Roy, Roy Jones. Yeah, in there. he's fighting Roy Jones Jr. Uh, very short, soon. I don't remember the exact date, but man, how sweet is the job of the trainer, bro? Like he's got those little things. They look like ping pong paddles, and he's just throwing them out there and. Jones Jr. is just knocking them out of the park. Like, what a sweet job that is for the trainer. Yeah, even though these guys are old men, I mean, it's it's Mike Tyson we're talking like about it. here. Like, I'm going to tune in. I'm going to check it out. Pretty Mike much Tyson. anything to do with this guy fascinates me. Um, he's one of your go-tos. He's eh? just a very interesting dude. Like, just hearing him talk, like, he has a very – like, any interview, if you've listened, he's so – for a guy who's like probably barely literate, he's very deep. He's very deep and yeah. super philosophical, and I have—I I assume that has a lot to do with his life experience. I mean, the guy's seen it all. He was poor. He was a thug when he was a teenager. He was concussed he was several rich. times. He's partied with everyone. He's been around the world. I mean, he just has a very unique, uh, fascinating perspective on life. I what a, like. well, what a what a unique, fascinating life he has lived. Yeah, I I will shout this one out just because I really enjoyed it. But uh, if you're also a fan of hip hop, he has an episode of his podcast where he interviews Eminem. And it's a very interesting discussion because they're both fans of each other. Eminem, especially big time boxing fan. So he was a bit starstruck. Wow. Believe it or not. I don't think you uh, have to be just a a hip hop fan for that. I mean, it's it's too... Very um, shady. defining cultural figures of our lifetime, I guess, in the same room for, for a very interesting discussion. On, yeah, well said. Yeah, so it's, it's very cool to check out. Um, not sure if I'm betting on that fight, though, but I did happen to lay some money down on NHL futures. You did, eh? I did. I saw the odds. Uh, I believe I got the Maple Leafs at about plus 1,600. Couldn't resist. Threw down 50 bones on that. Okay. Um, I it. also made my realistic bets. I bet on the Lightning again, and I bet on the Vegas Golden Knights. Okay. So how do you feel about those? 950 and 750, uh, respectively. I think I got 1,200 on the Knights. Oh, about wow. 900 really? on, on Tampa Bay. This was about a month ago, or f- oh, when, the, oh, when they okay. first came out, like a few weeks back. But. Right, right. Okay. I mean, yeah, dude. Like, at this point, it seems so chalky, but. You know, it's hard to look away from, you know, the reigning Stanley Cup champions. They had a great run. Like, they got a great team. Everything still looks pretty good there. Uh, everyone loves Colorado. Everybody loves Vegas. Like it, They had Colorado as the favorites. I yes. Think they were that, the best. I'm, I'm seeing the, the favorites as well. Odds, yeah. I'm seeing them as the favorites right now as well. Here's what I'll say about laying some money down. Uh, and maybe we'll have some more insight on this with next week's guest. But... Um, my thing is, just as much as this COVID cup, the bubble hockey, just as much as that was a bit of a toss-up, and what do you, what could you really expect? Like a team could come out and catch fire, and here we go. Just as much as that was a toss-up, I think this upcoming season is as well because you're flipping the calendar on these players. 
they their bodies aren't used to not doing anything right now. They're supposed to peak. It's a weird off season. They're supposed to peak right now. Uh, mentally, I believe that they can get over that once they get back to it and everything. But I, I just I do think you know it's going to be a shortened season. It's going to be a very compact season. There's not going to be any buys. No all star all star break. There's not going to be any time off. It's it's going to be very strange. We might have a Cana- all Canadian division. We can touch on that a little bit later. Like it's going to be weird. So I don't know if betting is just as simple as it was back in 2014 when you right. did, or 2015 when you decided who you thought was going to win the when cup. When you knew what to expect for the next season and yeah. I, I you know I did wait till some signings happened and but I mean anyone take a look at the list of UFAs right now. There is a ton of NHL talent going unsigned and a lot of it has to do I mean not everyone's the Maple Leafs and can plan to spend to the cap. Uh, Montreal can plan to spend to the cap. I mean, there's a lot of teams sitting on their hands right now because either they haven't gotten the green light or they just really don't know what the financial situation looks like. We don't know if we're going to have some fans, no fans. Uh, You know, we got a TV deal coming up. Like, the NHL's financial situation is a lot more uncomfortable than, say, comparatively to the NBA or the NFL, who are currently making most of their money from... Uh, from TV deals as opposed to gate revenue, which the NHL. So it's going to be a weird season, but I feel confident enough that much like what we saw in the bubble, a team like Tampa Bay, who's the, you know, I would say unquestionably the best team in the NHL, won. Yes. And that, and honestly, dude, that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Like, I'm really glad that the Tampa Bay Lightning did win because if you know the Montreal Canadiens won or the Chicago Blackhawks won or people so, would have been pissed you know oh, like it would have been so much more difficult for me to argue the asterisk because my main argument against the asterisk was don't talk to me about an asterisk until one of those stupid teams wins right it's gonna it's gonna filter okay we're letting them in oh my god we let a few more teams in better asterisk it no, like those teams fucked off. Either they fucked off in the play-in rounds or they fucked off in the yeah. first round officially. I and Montreal did eliminate Pittsburgh. And like I will admittedly say, and for all you regular listeners might remember, I was pretty pissed about the, the giving up participation ribbons to a couple of these teams who had no chance of making it. More to do with the odds and all that. But I think you're right in that the team that won was the best team. So it's like it, it almost takes away from that whole asterisk garbage conversation about like, you know, this doesn't count, especially if, but I, I agree with you in that if we would have seen a team like say Montreal win the cup, people were like, what the fuck? They weren't even a playoff spot. It would have been harder to argue. It would have been harder to argue against it. Um, quick thing on this. Um, Pat Maroon, they just re-signed him the other day. Good, good uh, re-signing obviously for Tampa Bay, back-to-back cup winner, Pat Maroon. But was Patrick Maroon last year on the Stanley Cup. This year was Pat Maroon. Oh, cool. Well, maybe... Why, 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 did you, I, I didn't actually get the story behind that. They had him on overdrive the other day, and I should have tuned in because I'm sure they asked him about it. But why, why would you do that? Maybe the, maybe the boys on the Lightning just called him Pat. Possibly. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe that's just the way he was introduced, or maybe that's the way he walked into the room and said, hey, guys, I'm Pat. And he was Pat all year. Pat. Do you Pat, think a hundred years from now someone's going to look at that and think it's two different guys? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But you know what? I'm pumped about. I can. Uh, my name's on the cup. My last name's on the cup. Uh, well, now you just need the first. I can actually look. I can actually look on there and see a Coleman. Like a lot of people have 
pretty generic names. I don't. I, I never thought Coleman was super unique, but I do. I, I don't really see it a whole lot. I see it a lot in the African American community. Is that right? Mostly, yeah. Hmm. A lot of like a lot of Coleman's. Interesting. Are from that heritage. And well, I that might explain that your strange. complexion. Well, or a few other things, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that, folks, but what we will get into a little bit is a bit of a Christmas present coming our way in form of the WJC. Oh, oh is it, Kate? Is it on Christmas Day? Christmas Day is what I've heard. That's, it couldn't be any better. It's, it's a gift. What's better than Boxing Day? I have, I have even less to do on Christmas Day. Yes. I'm often bored on Christmas, Christmas Day. Christmas is kind of boring. It like gets I, a little boring. Sorry. Like, honestly, like all excitement's in the morning, a little family time, big meal, bunch of turkey. You know, you're too full to get drunk, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's usually not cold enough for there to be any real, like, OD, uh, ODR can, action. Can ODR, ice fishing. That, that's None of that's happening None yet. None of that's happening. Yeah, so you're waiting for hockey. Like the best you can do, and we used to do it every year, was after presents, we'd have our little brekkie, and then we'd rip out and we'd play road hockey, a bunch of us. There was like at least 10 or 12 people there, two goalies. It was great. Every year it was a, like almost at maybe noon. Like right at noon, we had a little hockey game. It only lasted like an hour. Then everybody fucked off and went to their dinners. Perfect little interjection in, in the day, you know? But fuck, I don't even know if we're going to be able to have Christmas or be hanging out with family and friends and whatnot, so... Uh, for the purposes I, of this podcast, it could be amazing. I am confined myself to my household. Yeah, but I mean, let's be honest here. Like, okay, I got yeah. Everybody can go to school, and I can go to the mall, but I I can't see my family. That's sorry. I'm gonna go on record saying that's horseshit. But I will be getting together with my family without a doubt to watch the WJC if that fires up. In fact, in the Edmonton bubble at Christmas, not only because it's on Christmas and that's super exciting, but this Team Canada is going to resemble the Team Canada of the lockout in 05, 06, or whatever it was. Oh, it's a big statement. Sid and Bergeron and all those boys were on there because it looks like, and one NHL team wouldn't, I mean, we're probably going to see Byfield. We might see Lafreniere again. Guys who probably would not have another appearance because they were going to be on their NHL teams will be playing in this tournament. Yeah, good point. Um, did they already release any schedules or anything? I haven't seen schedules. I've seen uh, uh, camp rosters, though. I've seen them for Russia, Finland. I felt like I might have come across something that was talking about the divisions, and it was the first time that Canada is going to be in this division or the first time that they're not going to play a certain team. Fuck, I wish I could pull it up right now. I should have saved it. Anyway, no no point hanging on to it, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the schedule is. I, th I do think we already know the groups. And if I'm not mistaken, they're in a tough group, which I like to see. I like to see a tough group. Yeah, because I got to admit, those round-robin games when you're blowing out Denmark are... Boring. I, yeah, I don't watch them most don't of the watch time. Them. Like, they're just... I mean, if I got nothing to do, I'm going to watch it. But let's be honest. Like, I'm watching the U.S. and Canada, U.S. and Finland, Sweden. Oh, man. I've gotten into so many, like... I've gotten into a couple of heated fucking arguments over, like, big-time scores. And, like, let's not... I, I don't want to watch this anymore. Let's watch this other game. Like, let's watch the Russia-Finland game. Well, exactly. It's 3-3 three, 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 three with a minute to go, and Canada's 9-2 over Denmark, yeah. and, and you're mad at me that I want to switch the channel. Like, get the fuck out of here. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's like watching an OHL team play a junior B team. Like, it's it's probably <laughs> even bigger discrepancy like that. It's yeah. probably more than, like, an AHL team playing a junior B team. Yeah, like it's, fair enough. It's a joke. 
Uh, and that's just the nature of the tournament. We see that at the Olympics and other international competitions as well. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It happens when you're amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the nature but of what's uh, nice about the, being sport, the greatest country th- in the world. But th- what's nice about the sport in this day and age is that there are several teams that are amazing. It's not those teams' fault that you know other teams aren't so good like but they're in the program and you want to get better and like switzerland has been making great strides over Mm -hmm. the years as well you know so i think we talked about this before on the show is that the progress we've seen especially in those scandinavian countries finland they are closing the gap as far as hockey is concerned uh canada's got to watch themselves and it's not just from south of the border or in russia anymore dude finland is probably pound for pound the best in terms of population i would like to see the stats um, and I did see some numbers on it, but I am not able to regurgitate them at this time. But the amount of Finns being drafted, and not just with the Maple Leafs, as we might have seen, they drafted a ton of them this year around, but the draft picks per capita or whatever for Finland is off the charts. Dude, it's been trending that way for, for some time. It's, uh, they're, they're, they've been churning out top-level top talent for a long time now. And they're all in like these tight quarters, eh? It's all like these small little towns, but surrounding the big towns. And like all these players come from these small little areas in Finland and their program is just great. And as we talk out loud about it, it makes me excited to see that a bunch of our draft picks as Leaf fans are coming from from that that development. And what, what impresses me the most is is their ratio. I mean, they do not have the population to pull from like some of these other larger nations and it doesn't seem to matter. I mean, they just seem to produce. I don't know if you want to call it natural talent, Lesko. Maybe they're just producing natural talent there. Yeah, I feel like at the, it's at this point where you know I, I know Sweden had been called a hockey factory for years, but Finland's definitely right there with them, absolutely. And and that's something that's been talked about, I think, for a while, going back to you know when they dominated the World Juniors with the likes of Line A, Puliarvi, and and that group, Aho. Um, I do want to take it over to the Maple Leafs since we did mention uh, their draft picks. Uh, I know we didn't get too much into it. Uh, you know, draft picks are kind of a tough thing. It's not really either our jams, and we don't know how these guys will turn out. And I'm sure we'll overanalyze them in the years to come throughout training camps. But I, I did catch a really good interview um, on the Smartless podcast with Brendan Shanahan. Uh, Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and another gentleman, his name escapes me, hosts the show. Sean Hayes. Yeah, I've listened to a few episodes of their show in the past, and I was really pumped when I saw they got Shanahan. And little did I know that Will Arnett and Shanahan are actually very close friends and grew up in the same neighborhood, essentially. That's right. And have known each other for years and years. And you can really get that feel from the interview. Like, Shanny seems very... Like he's talking to his buddy. Oh man, he he's seems very. I'm, I'm glad you texted me about it because I had heard about the Smartless podcast, and I, I wanted. I think I had already checked out an episode before because when I typed it in, I had already had something played, um, and, and mainly because I'm a big Bateman fan. Obviously, recent uh, Ozark is is a big thing recently, yep. right? I, I'm a big Bateman fan. I'm a big and I'm a development fan. Yeah, true. Big and I'm a, and I'm a big Arnett fan as well. And yeah. I remember and really he's huge now. Yeah, he's, I mean both of them are huge now. I remember really loving the impersonation that he did of Shanahan. And I think at that time, that's when I did read a couple articles that Arnett and Shanahan are, are close. Yeah, but it, yeah, you're right. I'll let you keep going because it, tee it up. It, it was nice. And by the way, Sean Hayes. Just to, just so everyone's clear, so Sean Hayes is the one of the gentlemen. I can't remember what character he plays. But he plays him on Will and Grace. Okay. Plays him on Will and Grace. 
Okay. That's I had to I, I I did have to Google I didn't him. recognize his name. I I didn't take the time to look him up. I did so. have to Google him, but uh but yeah, yeah th- those three guys seem to have a pretty good rapport but bouncing around between the three of them as well. Yeah. Arnett's oh. got such a podcast voice too, you know. He does. Like, his voice I mean It's so unique. You can see why he he does a lot of voice work now. Bojack Horseman, uh he's Lego Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean he's that that voice is powerful like it, it's it and it, it's just made for for podcasting as far as i'm concerned i won't go in too much into the episode because i really want you guys to to pick it up and listen to yeah, it yeah consume and it. if you're a leaf fan it's it's worth your time even if you're a hockey fan it's worth your time uh just to hear some of the stories about the interactions of these guys over the years and hear Shannon reflect on his career because he's the leafs president i mean he doesn't do a ton of media we don't get these kinds of one-on-ones not not to mention a one-on-one with one of his buddies. But uh, one of the things that really popped out online and that some people seemed, oh, some people were like, well, duh, and other people were very surprised about was this particular passage when referring to his career and how he thinks of the game now. He said, the way I think is not necessarily the way I played. People get pissed off at me when I say stuff like this, but I don't get excited to see a big hit. I get excited when I see a big goal. I don't want to see any of these young guys getting carted off the ice. What do you make of that? Well, I, I think and, it, and in terms of, I guess we're trying to apply this to the way he runs the team. I think it's, I, I think it's just an important way to operate moving forward league wide, because the game has clearly shifted away from muscle and more towards hustle. Yeah. Right. That's okay. A good way of putting it. it. Everything is about speed and skill, and if you can have some of that with a little grit, you're like a unicorn, mm-hmm. and everybody wants a piece of Tom Wilson. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at this point in time, when we have big, big collisions like we used to have, the speeds of the collision is it could be fatal at this it's point. It's so in much time. faster now that it you're could right. be fatal. It, it I mean, when players it. used to come into the boards, let's go. And, and you know, I'll ask any of our listeners who disagree, look it up on YouTube, look up some old footage, not old, old, but older footage, even in the nineties, watch how these guys come into the boards. They used to come into the boards together, almost with the Brian Burke hug kind of thing. Remember they used right. to come in and they'd engage beforehand. There was it, some let up. It was much they were, You weren't trying softer. to kill the guy. No, now it's just like, puck hungry like get on that puck as fast as possible mm-hmm. and they're they're drop they're, the shoulder yeah they're bent there. over they're they're in vulnerable positions and if we continue to operate with the big and brawl we got to have fighting listen i'm okay with fighting i'm not against fighting it and i think even if you try and take fighting out of the game it'll still exist to a certain degree yes the and tempers will flare and guys will too. fight each other he said there's always going to be a place for it in the sport but he said the perspective has changed we know more about concussions we know more about head, head injuries you know the reasons for moving away from it aren't just a uh, natural evolution of the game, but also have to do with our increased knowledge of what what we've been doing to ourselves. Yeah, and I mean honestly, if you, I mean, okay, so the OHL tries to take it out by suspending the players, right? Like you, you get in a fight, you get and ended up getting suspended, whatever it is. I'm not going to hang up on it, but if you try and do some bullshit like that in the NHL, okay, it'll be gone, but someone will still fight somebody else. 
And, you know, I, I don't see why the, the penalty for a one-off fight that happened emotionally in front of the net, two guys got going, and then they kind of fought each other, and now they realize that they just had a five-game fucking suspension. Yeah. It can't be that severe. I don't think just, it ever will Just either. make it a fine, okay? Because make it a $20,000 fine, and all the players chip in $1,000 each. I think, ab- and, I think about you it know? in the context of the NHL really got off easy. They didn't have to increase penalties for fighting like some of the minor leagues have done OHLQ whatever yeah it's naturally leaving it's naturally leaving so they haven't had to clamp down on it and Shanahan did fully acknowledge he's like this is always still going to be here I feel like in he's like it happens in baseball happens in football basketball whatever he's like with the raw emotion involved it's always going to happen and I don't think you can always avoid it but I think he made a good point but it was interesting so this this particular quote really seemed to catch fire with the the old school fan or, or a segment of Leafs Twitter out there who, who, who pine for the, the days of Tidomi and Darcy Tucker and, and, one, and they, they're like, this Leafs team's too soft and yada yada. So there was a certain narrative out there during free agency where they're like, well, Shani told, told Dubas, this team's too much pussy. We got to bring in tough guys, Simmons, big guys, all that kind of stuff. Right. This quote really tells you that I don't think that's the whole story. And and it just goes to show you that we're always looking for a narrative. We're trying to oversimplify what is happening because we don't know. I mean, it's... it's, it's We don't know. You're right. It's our job and and it's what we do as fans. But it just goes to show that we don't really know. You know, you think you know Shanahan based on the way he played, right? Right. And Shanahan fully went out there and admitted in this interview, like, I don't think about the game the way I played. And I, you know, much like a smart guy who's the president of one of the biggest sports organizations in North America has evolved. Yeah. Right? That's right. Um, Let me ask you then, since we don't know, what do you think? What do you think his fingerprint is like on the the roster construction? I'm I'm inclined to believe him, and I, I couldn't tell you when this interview was, but it's a few years ago, where he said he understands the importance of surrounding himself with people smarter than himself. And I feel like that is evident in the hires of Kyle Dubas, Lawrence Gilman, Brandon Pridham. You find the the right guys to do the job. I mean, you could say this about any business, any organization. If you don't want to be hands-on every day, I got to be overseeing everything. I am sure he's involved in most discussions and he's overseeing everything because that's what a good manager does. Right. But the better the people you have in place to do the groundwork the less work it is for you to do and you are more in an advisory oversight kind of role. And I feel like that's how he structured the organization. Because here, I'll, I'll give you what I think. I think at this point in time that he's not involved in player construction, roster construction at all, 0%. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. Uh, before then, like before Keith, I think maybe he was involved. Mm-hmm. I think and it I would was say in the early years of from the, the top down. I think it was involvement from the top down. And what I like to personally believe, with no information or inside knowledge on this whatsoever, what I personally like to believe is that there was severe pushback from Kyle Dubas to say, it's time. It's time for me to bring in my guy and have mm-hmm. my team and our vision and leave us alone. Not you know so rude as that, but just mm-hmm. give me my shot. Yeah, give me my shot. And I think it finally happened, and it is his shot. What I think is unfortunate for Dubis and subsequently Sheldon Keefe, I think what's unfortunate for those two gentlemen is that 
I think there might have been a little bit of time wasted. Not a lot. I'm not going to sit right. here and say we wasted all the Matthews years. But we no, made we that point before. We made that point yeah. before. We may have been, we may have shaved a little bit off the top, and we're kind of starting a little slowly. The engine's just right. starting to pick it up. So what we have to hope is that you know moving forward everything works because now if it still doesn't work, the next question is going to be. What's the hot seat like? How hot actually is it? Is Dubas gone instantaneously? Does he get another opportunity to figure it out again? Mm. Uh, what happens to Keith when fucking Dubas is out of there? Mm. Like, my goodness, you know? Just quickly, one last one for you to let myself off the rant here. I was speaking with uh, a close friend of Sheldon Keith uh, over the weekend. Told me an interesting story. He says, I was talking to Kiefer the other day, and he told me about uh, walking into the arena and looking at the photos, the team photos from all the years and seeing all the coaches and seeing that they were only around for a couple, for of, a years. couple of years. Yeah. Some of the greatest coaches of all time mm-hmm. were only around for a couple of fucking years. So what I what I took out of that story and I liked it, I didn't even say it because I was feeling too bubbly inside. I didn't want to come off all nostalgic, <laughs> but it made me feel great because it means that he truly appreciates the position that he's in. Mm-hmm. It's not a time to fucking rebuild and try and get better and try and learn from your mistakes. It's time to fucking get going. And it might seem stupid to say, Lesko, but at this point in time, if we win a goddamn round like we're supposed to, I don't know if there's anything that'll stop us after that. I'm not saying that, oh, here comes Coleman, win one round and the Leafs win the fucking cup. No, what I'm getting at is it's not time for, oh, I can't wait to win a round. Okay, mm-hmm. whoo, we got that monkey off our back. Fuck that. If we win one round and lose in the next round, the monkey's still there. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, Keefe and Dubas and Shanahan, for that matter, are probably all on the same page in terms of there, there's not that talk of trust the process, trust the process, show up every day, do the right thing. Yes, that's part of it, but the focus right now is on doing it. You have to seize the day. You got your guns locked down. You've brought in a ton of complimentary pieces. You've made other guys sign for pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are in win-now mode. They are focused on the ultimate goal. There's no this building. There's no this we're a couple of tweaks away, especially with one more year of Frederick Anderson and not knowing what the goalie situation will look like moving forward. They are all in, I feel like, on this season. On this season. Which is great because last year – where we felt that it was kind of like that, there was still some hands tied due to the Lamorello contracts. There was the Babcock situation. There was so much, we forget because it was so long ago, but there was <laughs> so much drama and crap last year. Yes. So it would be really nice, despite all the um, distractions that are outside of hockey right now, to feel like this Maple Leafs team is embarking on a true journey where there is a single focus and hopefully the whole room is on board with that and let's go let me tell you man it's going to end up being a short season okay i feel like we all know this for sure it's not happening january 1st i feel like we can all fucking agree to that as well it's too soon we don't even have any parameters yeah we don't even have a meeting they haven't even had a fucking meeting i'm sure thinking at this point no okay let's call it mid-january at best february 1 it's going to be a short season it could be 48 games it could be 62 i don't know it's probably going to be 48 i think it's going end up being a real short season get this thing snapped off have it done before the olympics okay we can talk about that next week or some other time but that's fucking important big time 
you know, dangle around the Olympics, get this thing out of the way and get going for next year because guess what, Lesko? That is Seattle's entrance. That's the TV deal. They've really got to prime up That that. is the year that they have to have everything back on schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're not going to cancel this season. I don't think they're going to... They're going to waste another year. They, they, these players, man, like they're getting paid to play, but not just about getting paid to play, Lesko. These are years lost of their lives. This is another mm-hmm. year lost of Alexander Ovechkin trying to chase down the great one. That's right. And, and think about from a Maple Leafs fan perspective, we're like, we feel like this team's ready to compete. I mean, Austin Matthews is in his prime. We don't want to waste any time. No, right? get on the ice, start exactly. scoring some goals. So what I was getting at, Lesko, is if it's going to be a short season, man, it's going to be a sprint to the finish. Remember last time we had a short season like this? The team was not playoff worthy, but they made it. But they made it. They made it in the 48-game season. Reimer was huge, and Kadri was huge, and the boys made it, right? Mm-hmm. We thought we won Game 7, and here we go. But what I'm getting at is you, you, you find lightning in a bottle, and you know a team like the Dallas Stars... I'm not knocking them here, but they may have found lightning in a bottle. I heard a stat today that I didn't even realize. They had two terrible losing streaks, the immediate start of the season where they won one game out of the first nine, and then six-game losing streak going into the pause. Yeah, which is how they ended up, I believe, with their coaching change, right? Right. It was, uh, you know, a Either way. relatively disappointing season on top of some off-ice issues. Yeah, but either way, so they're a good example of finding lightning in a bottle in a a bubble setting and, you know, getting all the way and just falling short, you know, losing in six games to the the Tampa Bay Lightning. So any team at this point, Leafs are included, can find the lightning in the bottle in a shortened season. A guy goes off and just scores every other night. His name is Austin Matthews, you know, like just, like you just put it perfectly right in the prime, they're looking, they're locked, they're ready to go. Like, oh man, just let the harness off and let's go. Yeah. Especially given all the offseason acquisitions. I mean, as a fan, I couldn't be more excited for the upcoming season. I did want to go over a couple of the quick moves that they've made in the last couple of weeks since we did record our last episode. Uh, Ily Mikheyev, who was slotted for a arbitration hearing, did settle a day before. He got a two-year deal at 1.6 mil. Uh, He will be a UFA at the end of the term. Uh, It was really interesting because Milstein, his agent, came out and said Ilya didn't want anyone to get traded and kind of basically took one for the team here. Um, You're free to PR it up if you want, if you're an agent. But I feel like it was a little more of, hey, this is how much money we got for you. And I'll get to Dermot next because Dermot signed for about 10000 more than he was making. Uh, moderate raise for, okay, third pair defenseman. But I feel like for both those guys, because they had spent the money they did on free agency, it was like, you're taking this or you're gone. I'm sorry, we'll trade you. Because I, I they didn't have a choice. And the reality is there's no bluff there. There's no bluff there. Hey, bro, we'd like you to stay. We, we don't want to have to go to arbitration and shit talk you in front of a fucking moderator. Well, if he goes to arbitration, gets 2.6, guess what? That means him or Dermot are getting traded, and I feel like they're opting for the forward. Yeah, like... Like, uh, I'm sure they made it very clear because the numbers, it almost makes the GM's position a little easier because they can go, this is it, son. This is all we got for you. Yeah, and he can see over the past handful of recent years some players electing to come here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that these players had 30 other teams at the palms of their hands, but some of them did, 
right? I mean, Tavares obviously had lots of options. He didn't have to come here. I'm just saying, you know, players are starting to come here and that's not going to stop. You ended the episode last episode with that so perfectly. You know what? Now they're here. Babcock said eventually players are going to want to come here. He was right. Not everything he did was bad. It was just towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the stuff he did at the beginning was extremely good. Yeah. It put us where we are today. And now where we are today, our players are wanting to come here and players are wanting to stay here. Yeah. And when Mikheyev is given that ultimatum, he's he knows what he wants to do. What does he want to do? Where is he going to go? He has no idea. Yeah. You know, he's got no idea. He's familiar. He already came once from Russia. Now you got to go and go somewhere else and get a new PR Side team. Side with the comfort. It's not going to be the Leafs, bro. Yeah. You don't want to end up in Arizona. Do you realize what organization you're with right now? Like, yeah. you know, the agent needs to be in your ear on that one. And you talk, and yeah, well, the agent or even he some wants of your to make fellow his money, teammates though. The agent who wants to make his money. Else. Absolutely, but <laughs> you got you got to look at your clients for who they are, right? Yeah, We're best talking interest. a second-year NHLer who I think barely played 42 games last year because 39. of injury. So, I mean, it, it, it saved the Leafs some money. It cost him some money. But, but it's a safe play. But if he goes into his UFA years after two years in the Maple Leafs that turn out to be really successful, the guy's stock could be off the charts. So Absolutely. it's a good bet for him. I agree. And I think it's a good bet for Dermot too, uh, betting on himself because he's in a crowded position. Um, we did talk about it a lot last week, uh, how Dubas really wanted to create this internal competition for roster spots. And it's the reason why I believe they're going to carry 7 or 8D most of the time next year because I think – the, the bottom pair is unlikely to be set in stone. We're going to see a lot of cycling in and out of guys. And Travis Dermott's in an interesting position because he has not really fully established himself despite playing for the team for the last three years. And now you got Rasmus Sandin breathing down your neck. Yeah. But so, you have that versatility that he can't play the right side. So Listen, I know you got to go soon, so stop me if we can't get too far into this. But I, I wonder if that's if that might be a problem, though, in, in a shortened season. Not having... A, a concrete lineup or so to speak like you know if you're constantly rotating in and out who's getting in who's getting out like I, I don't know if that's a, a recipe for success honestly I, th I think it's better at the end of the day and, and you don't have to look any further than the Tampa Bay Lightning who well, depth pretty is much good. cycled in defensemen not just throughout the season but into the playoffs as well okay fair I mean enough. we saw Luke Shen come in one game and we scratched the next and so on and so forth yeah so true good point I, I I really like the idea where they're going here um, I think there is that I, I think this can happen with any team any sport but that level of complacency where it's like, ah, I played like shit for three games, but I'm, I'll be on, I'm penciling in that third pair. No problem. Yeah. You know? good so point. I, I feel like this will help keep guys on their toes. No it complacency. Might force, Dermot might get forced in that right side, which he's not entirely unfamiliar with. So it's, it's a bet on yourself year, but it's also a show me year, right? Like it's, it's, what do you got? Are you worth it? You know, are, are, are we going to make room to keep you in the long term on this hockey club? You know, you really, it just goes to show you that the team agrees probably with the fan base and that Dermot really hasn't carved out his role 100% on this team yet. Dude, Leafs are deep, man. Deeper than I expected them to be. They are deep. I mean, bro. it's funny because last year we felt they were deep going in the season, but very they were quickly deep realized skill. they weren't. They were deep in skill. They were deep in skill. You're right, but weren't deep but, uh, in, in the going deep in the playoff no, but sense. I, I, I bragged about that. I'm on record. I'm wrong. It's on I was, the show. I was wrong. I like I didn't think that we could be stopped. I just I just I just strictly didn't think that we could be stopped. I didn't think Columbus did enough scoring themselves. Mm -hmm. All they did was sit back and play defense. And mm -hmm. I don't think that, that I didn't think that, that was going to work and it clearly did. Yeah. 
Now, another, if we want to talk depth for the Maple Leafs, I will fire this off quickly uh, before we do wrap up the first segment here. Uh, interesting signings uh, through a few people f- for a loop, I think, but the Maple Leafs went out and signed Aaron Dell uh, as their third string goalie, and it sounds like it's more than likely there's going to be some expanded roster slash taxi squad. Mm-hmm. So they could be carrying three goalies. I like this deal a lot. He's a proven, I think, 906 in his last year in the NHL. Like, you know, a decent goaltender who can play some quality minutes for you in the event of an injury. Much better than the situation where we were in last year, where the guy I'm going to get to next, Michael Hutchison, was forced into a starting role in the absence of Frederick Anderson. God, so it's we like got, a rewinding here. We got Jack Campbell, okay? <laughs> Great, no problem. Yes, very if, great. If Freddie ends up injured, you got Campbell Dell. Okay, that's acceptable. Yeah. But way down in the fourth, and it sounds like he's pretty happy about this based on the interviews I've heard, but Michael Hutchison is back. Some words I never thought I'd say on the show. He's Because back. I believe if you went back to February, we said he would never play another NHL game. <laughs> But well, that still might be the case. My, well, and yeah, I, I fully don't expect to see him in a Maple Leafs jersey. And if we do see him starting, we're probably worried. And I imagine the players would be we're as well. We're very worried if it gets uh, to that point. But yeah, they did re-sign Michael Hutchison. Um, maybe a devil you know type thing. And knowing that uh, the mentorship is probably valuable for the goalies in the AHL. And you don't um, they've run with three goalies in the AHL system for several years now. So it's not surprising from that standpoint either. We know that Wall and, and Ian Scott aren't ready yet. So from a development standpoint, this is probably a smart move. Yeah, I like your point about, you know, the mentorship of a veteran, bit of a journeyman. You know, he's been around the block a few times. He's he's seen wins. He's seen losses. Like, it's good experience to have uh, for some of your goaltender prospects. But at the end of the day, for me, uh, total expansion play. Yes, because he is eligible, I believe, to be scooped up. That's right. So, so. that is another good move. Um, probably not something you bring up in its contract negotiations, but I'm sure you know the agent, the player, is aware of the situation as well. So um, a surprising signing for the Maple Leafs, but makes sense when you think about it. Yeah, I agree. Okay. We're wrapping it up. We'll wrap it up, son. All right, my friend. Well, I mean, too bad you're not going to be able to join me for the next little bit here with Jake. But Tell uh, Jake I said hi. I will. Do you have anything uh, after we just recorded? Do we? Do you have anything that's fresh on your mind that you'd like uh, to ask Mr. Jake Hahn when he comes on? Uh, no, I think okay. I gave you everything already. All I, right. I, 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 you put me on the spot there. but I had Yeah, already, a little bit. I put some good thought into questions the other days that I put in the prep for you to ask. So okay. the listeners will know what I wanted to ask when they hear the very intelligent and carefully worded questions if Josh chooses to read them correctly. Oh, my goodness. I have to <laughs> fucking read them correctly. All right. Well, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'm going to tee up the uh, call with Jake, and that's, uh, that's going to be coming our way here soon. I got a hot date with some radio bingo. <laughs> All right. Well, have fun, my friend. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, here we are with uh, Jake Hahn. Jake is a friend of the show, and he's returning once again. Uh, had him on a few times, I think, already. Jake uh, can be found on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio Channel 91. Um, how'd you like that tagline there, Jake? Got that out Not- pretty perfectly. Not bad, not bad. It's good good to be back on with you again, Josh. I'm a fan of what you guys do here on the podcast. I've been 
waiting by the phone, waiting to come back on again. You sent me the text, uh, and, and I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to come on whenever you need me. I'm excited to be on, and uh, we've got a lot of catching up to do. I haven't really talked to you in quite some time, and a lot of uh, hockey news, a, a lot of uh, other news, and, and the off season and everything that we've dealt with uh, since the last time I've been on. So I'm looking forward to this, pal. Yeah, well, me too, man. The last time we were on, it was uh, a different world that we were living, and yes. seems like a whole nother generation ago. But yeah, obviously, let's go ahead to part ways. He's got a radio bingo uh, commitment or something that he forgot about earlier in the day. So I'm sure you're familiar with radio bingo, Jake. You must have that twice a week. Dude, duty calls. No, I'm not in. The, I'm not into the bingo just yet. Maybe uh, I'm getting close to 30, so I, I feel like I'm going to get to a point where I'm getting pretty close to the bingo day. So I might have to. I might have to talk, talk, talk to Lesko, get some tips on radio bingo, and get into that. You know, I. You know, I like to throw around the money a little bit in uh, gambling. So that sounds like it's right up my alley. Yeah, you're you're a bit of a gambler from time to time. I, I so I've heard. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it depends on what it is. I, it's actually funny too, and. Uh, uh, we could get into this a little bit. I know you're, it's a hockey-themed podcast, but most of my money, most of my betting goes to other sports. I find hockey to be the most difficult by far to bet on, and I have you know buddies that text me all the time asking for picks, you know, who do I like in tonight's game, and I'll certainly give my opinion, and I'll tell you who I think is going to win, but it is a sport I tend to stay away from in terms of betting. I find it extremely random, uh, so I make money in, in other sports, and I just sit back and enjoy the hockey as much as possible, but sometimes a, a line sneaks up on you, and you think, okay, i got to throw a few bucks down on that, but I, I tend to stay away from hockey as compared to most sports. Yeah, I think I remember asking you last time you were on if you actually made any plays that you'll you know broadcast to your listeners on SiriusXM. You know, because I'm thinking, well, the guy must be rolling in it here if he's so good. You know, him and Boomer, <laughs> him and Boomer are always talking about all their great lines and everything. Uh, but I, me- I think if I remember correctly, you said, listen, not really a whole lot. Maybe a couple of lines will pop out that I'll say, okay, maybe I'll parlay that with something and make a few bucks. But you're right. It's tough. It's a tough game to predict. It really is so random, and, I th- and when you're getting into a regular season format where you have a possibility of going to a shootout, and you can even extend that now to three-on-three overtime, I find three-on-three overtime could be just as random as a shootout. So once it goes to overtime, I feel like it's basically a coin flip for your bet. I don't really have any interest betting on a coin flip. I guess in that case, you're just hoping you have the underdog, and, and you'll take the value on the line in that aspect. I did make a few Stanley Cup future bets, though, and I had a, I had a couple that were actually looking pretty good. I had the Canes at a really good number. Uh, they looked great in that play-in round against the New York Rangers, so I was feeling good about that. And I got the New York Islanders into the Eastern Conference Final at about 60-1 to 1 odds. So it oh, felt wow. good, but yeah, but once they got up against Tampa, I watched a couple games of that series, and I thought, okay, my uh, it's great that I got it here. It's great that I got the value, but I just didn't see them beating the Tampa Bay Lightning, and there really wasn't any room for me to hedge. So I just had to kind of let that one go. Uh, but it was it's still a nice run. That's all you really ask for with a future bet. Give you a little uh, little sweat, a little fun for a few rounds. If it, if it doesn't win, it's all good. Yeah, well, I mean, you're looking at that series, and you're thinking, oh, okay, this is why there was so much value. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. This is why the Islanders were such a big dog, and Tampa Bay was so dominant. Uh, it really throughout the entirety of, of the playoffs, but I think specifically in that series against the New York Islanders, you had a couple games where uh, Islanders just looked outmatched. Maybe they were just a little bit tired, but I think when you look uh, at the superstar talent on both sides, it clearly favors uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it showed in that series, uh, and it showed it uh, beyond as well. So uh, full credit to Tampa Bay. I, I'm not complaining at all about losing that future uh, with the New York Islanders. I was happy for them just to get to the Eastern Conference Final. The much better team won, and the best team in the NHL ended up winning the Stanley Cup this year. You know, Lesko and I just talked about that earlier 
earlier uh, in the recording here this evening that yeah. I, I said I was so happy to see that, you know, a chalky pick was the one that ended up winning because if it was something out of left field, it would have made it so much more difficult to, you know, argue about that asterisk business. You know, uh, I yes. mean, the best team won. Tampa would have won if the playoffs, you know, Tampa would have won in a COVID-free world is, is what I think I can say at this point. Um, I don't think it mattered that there was a bubble. I think maybe it mattered for some other teams. You know, maybe it was good for some other teams that there was a bubble, you yeah. know, like, like catching lightning in a bottle, for example. I mean, some people might say the Dallas Stars did that. I don't know. Uh, you know, but it was nice to see. It was nice to see that Tampa came out on top. That was the way it should have been. I think it puts to bed any of the asterisk comments. And that was one of my questions for you tonight was about the asterisk. So let me just jump mm-hmm. right in. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I had no time for the asterisk or anything involving it right from the start. Even even before uh, we started the playoffs, we had a lot of people talking about, okay, what's this going to look like? Is it going to be a real NHL playoffs? Is it going to resemble what we've seen uh, you know, over, over the course of time? Are we going to see something completely different? Are we going to look at this and think, okay, whoever wins it wasn't exactly a deserving winner? I never thought for a second it was going to, to play out that way. Uh, and watching the playoffs play out made me think even more so that there should not be an asterisk, uh, an asterisk attached to what the, the Tampa Bay Lightning did. You just sort of alluded to it right there, Josh, with uh, how stacked this team is. I, I don't care if you've got no fans in the building, if you've got 20,000 fans in the building. On the ice, the Tampa Bay Lightning are the most talented team in the National Hockey League. The most talented team in the league doesn't always win. We, you know, we've been hockey fans for a long time. Uh, we see teams get hot in the playoffs. Goaltenders get hot. Uh, and most of the time, actually, the best team on paper doesn't go on to win the Stanley Cup. This year, to me, the best team on paper is still the Tampa Bay Lightning. Going into next year uh, and beyond, maybe you make a case for a Colorado Avalanche, someone else like that. Uh, but I do believe Tampa Bay is the best team on paper. And in this instance, the best team on paper won. Uh, and they were also the best team on the ice. Doesn't always work like that in other sports. I think usually you see the the best team kind of rise to the top when you're looking at a, a sport like the NBA that mm-hmm. kind of runs congruently with the NHL. Usually you see the best teams win. The most talented teams with the most talented players. Hockey doesn't work like that. Uh, but in this instance, one of the most talented teams, if not the most talented team, ends up winning the Stanley Cup. And it was refreshing to see. Just a good team go to go out there and prove that they're a good team. Uh, they've been assembled you know, very well over the past handful of years. And they finally get their cup that... I, you know, I, I really think that we could have been talking about a, a Tampa Bay Lightning team winning their second or third cup by this by this point. You know, if yeah. a couple things go their way in the playoffs, uh, they've been set up for success for a very long time. It's kind of shocking to me uh, that this was the time that they finally win a Stanley Cup. They probably should have already had a couple more uh, in the bank with this version of, of this team. And like I said, they're still set up for success moving forward. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them bank a, another one, maybe even another two. Well, let me ask you something then as a player, right? And I, I know you never, you know, you're not an NHL player or anything, but you play the game of hockey. You understand mm-hmm. the, the emotion and the passion, right? Let me ask you honestly, at this point, do you think that any of those players might have a, a little thing in the back of their mind that's like, God, I wish we could have won this in a normal world? Uh, 100%. 100%. And, and you're obviously enjoying it and, uh, you know, trying to put myself in, in that mindset. Uh, I think there's still a euphoric feeling and, you're, you know, you're celebrating with your with your teammates and everybody that you worked hard to get to that point. Uh, but you'd be kidding yourself if you didn't think that they wanted to win in front of a packed barn in Tampa Bay uh, with everybody going crazy. And then you could party on the streets in a in a normal world. That's what this is all all about. That's that that's fun for the fan base. That's fun for the players. Uh, that's kind of what you work towards. So 
it's unfortunate that they didn't get the celebration that they probably had played out in their minds uh, for their entire lives. And, you know, they, re they really wanted to get out there. You know, we saw it with the, uh, the World Series being rewarded and uh, the Dodgers winning and Justin Turner uh, testing positive for COVID during the game and coming back out on the field. That, to me, showed me how badly he wanted to be out there. And I, I totally disagree with his decision in going back out there. I don't think that that was the right thing to do. Uh, but I, I think it just shows you how badly these players want to celebrate and they want that normal feeling uh, that they've been kind of dreaming of their entire life. So it's unfortunate that was kind of taken away from Tampa Bay. You make the best of it in the situation. But, uh, you know, this was something that, that Boomer and I disagreed on quite a bit over the course of, of the return to play. Uh, he didn't seem to mind the fact that there was no fans in the building. I severely missed the fans, Josh. I don't know about you, uh, and I'll pose this question back to you. I, I really missed the fans in the building. It wasn't like I wasn't enjoying the games and wasn't enjoying the hockey. I certainly was, uh, but I missed that playoff atmosphere so much. I, I don't know how you felt about that. Well, I can tell you right now, Jake, um, it, it, was, it was detrimental to my interest in wanting mm -hmm. to watch the games. And there were times that I came out into the garage. I have a recently, my fiance and I just recently purchased a house here. It's got a nice big double oh, garage. Congrats. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Big moments awesome. here for the Coleman's. But like, um, you know, I, I put my little man cave out here and it's where I got all set up. <laughs> yes. I hung up all my leaf stuff around the place. It was looking sick. Then they lose and I have to tear it all down. But anyways, I, there was times I came out here and I said, I'm watching the games. I'm coming out. I'm going to watch the games. And I would sit there and it's just, I don't know. I never, I don't know if it's a hook that I never got, but for me, like people, Jake, you know, people that know me, they'll tell you like at some points in my life, I probably should have been paid to be watching as much hockey as I did. <laughs> it was just stupid. Like, I mean, all night, every night, all the overtimes, I had to watch as many as I could. I'd have four screens yeah. going, you know, all the nine, all the whole nine yards. And it was mainly because I just couldn't get enough of that drug and the drug was the nervous energy and the emotion and I loved it even more when the Leafs weren't even involved because I had no horse and I could just yeah. watch the games and when the team ties it up I could be like oh my god they tied it up and I'm all excited <laughs> you know and now we're going into OT it, it just it didn't happen for me I had to create my own excitement and while uh, people will also tell you that I'm a very outgoing, hand-moving, talking kind of guy, I'm doing it right now, like, I can't create that emotion that comes with sports and fans and losing and winning and not knowing what's going to happen. It just felt like something was missing the whole time. And, and you're, you're preaching to the choir here because you're, uh, the way that you grew up watching hockey, the way that you watch it is almost identical to how I've watched it. And, you know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, I'd stay up to watch that last overtime and, you know, I'm not going to bed until that last game is, is over. Uh, but it just felt like during that, that Stanley Cup playoff run that there was something missing. And we kind of knew going in, it was going to be different. It was going to be weird. I was just happy the whole time that we were able to pull this off, that we didn't have to scrap the season, that we were able to eventually award a Stanley Cup champion. So I'm still happy that it went off. I still enjoyed a, a lot of the moments, a lot of the hockey, but I did feel like it, you, you kind of got worn out of it after a little bit, a, a little while. And you get to the point where uh, you're in such pressure situations in the conference final or in the Stanley Cup final where it really, really matters. And where as a viewer, you're really pulled in. I just felt like there was something major missing there with no fans in the building. It, it just didn't feel like a true Stanley Cup final to me watching at home. I'm sure to the players on the ice, it felt like a Stanley Cup final because you know the reward that's, that's there for you if you're able to win those four games in the cup final. 
but at least from a viewer's, uh, viewer's uh, standpoint at home, it just kind of felt like something was missing, and it just didn't feel like uh, there was that on the line until you know maybe the the final few moments uh, were ticking down on the clock. So yeah. unfor- unfortunate that we had well, that we missed that, but I think it's all you can also spin it into a positive and say, hey, now when we do get that back, uh, we'll maybe appreciate it a little bit more. You appreciate something that that you missed for about a year there uh, when you, we get fans back in the building, and when I see a true playoff hockey game again uh, with a packed crowd of 20,000 people. I'll be a very happy man. Oh, it's going to be amazing. I, I yeah. know that you watched other sports, obviously, a big sports guy. Um, what do you think about the pumped-in noise now that we're kind of on the topic? Yeah. like I, I, for one, thought that the MLB did an unbelievable job of pumping in their noise. Mm-hmm. There were times when I completely forgot, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I was wondering if maybe – I feel like obviously it's easier to do it for baseball because there's clear moments when, okay, here comes the pitch and all this other stuff. Whereas with hockey, it's a lot more random. So like, yeah, where are you right. on that? I thought maybe they might've been able to integrate a little bit more crowd noise. Cause at first I thought that idea was silly. And then when I saw the MLB pull it off, I was like, okay, NHL needs to figure this out because this is sick. Like I'm watching the game. I'm having more fun watching this playoff baseball game than I am watching a hockey game. And I never thought I'd say that in my life. Yeah, it's funny because I thought baseball did it to the point where I'm watching at home and I almost forgot that there wasn't fans in the building. You know, right. so someone hits a fly ball that's that's kind of deep towards the warning track, and you get that you know crowd raising noise. Doesn't go as a home run, and the noise fades down. It felt it felt kind of real. I thought. And there were some kinks to work out. I remember watching some baseball games early on, and they were a little off on the timing of the crowd noise, and it was very noticeable mm-hmm. that they were off on the timing. But I think once you kind of ironed out those kinks, it really worked. And, and it almost fooled you to think that there was a, you know, a stadium packed full watching that baseball game, uh, which I thought from a viewership standpoint, I didn't think going into it I was going to need that, but I really enjoyed it once it was there and once they, they were actually able to pull it off uh, the way that they did. So I was in favor of it. I actually thought the NBA did a pretty good job as well, uh, pumping in the crowd noise and, and, and trying to have that effect, right? Because uh, in basketball, you do have an advantage with the home court. You know, mm-hmm. it's more difficult to shoot free throws. You've got that, that crowd noise uh, to deal with. And I think the NBA did a pretty good job at least trying to replicate that and trying to give uh, the home team some sort of advantage, whatever they can do. Uh, you could say maybe a missed opportunity for the NHL in that aspect. And, uh, you know, the conversation we just had that, that, you know, it just felt like something was missing. Maybe if they were able to pull that off a little bit better, we wouldn't have felt that way. But at, at this point, it's all in the rearview mirror. And we just hope that we don't have to deal with any more pumped-in crowd noise whenever we do re- return to play. I hope we're, we're done with that. We actually get some real fans in the building. Yeah, true. Rearview mirror is a good way to put it. But before we go completely past it, I wanted to ask you, everyone was kind of thrown for a loop, right, when all this stopped. I mean, you had people on vacation. I, myself, I was on vacation. I got to come home and quarantine. Like, you know, you had things... Wow. Things were going crazy. Uh, sports was stopping. I mean, jobs were stopping. I mean, how about yourself, Jake? How was that like? Uh, all of a sudden, you're not going into the studio anymore. Um, you know, yeah. are, are we doing the show? Do we have any sports to cover? What the hell's going on? I mean, that must have been a real hectic time for you. It, it really was. It, I mean, it's 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 crazy to think back on it now. I feel like there's been so many different ups and downs. Uh, through quarantine life from the very start of it because, uh, you know, I look back to the very start when when we shut things down here in in Toronto, we were actually still going into the studio because we fell under the media category, Uh, so we were actually still allowed to go into work. You know, kind of, we're we're fringe media, we are technically media, technically we aren't essential in the way that we're covering the pandemic, uh, but we were able to still allow, allow to go to the studio 
And I remember driving into the studio some of those days, uh, and Toronto was an absolute ghost town. It looked like New Year's Eve morning when nobody was out on the roads, and it was like that all the time. It was kind of a, a really eerie feeling and an eerie part of the whole thing, and uh, you were very unsure. Uh, but ever since we've been doing the shows from home, uh, it, it took a while. It took a while, Josh. I, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was real tough. Uh, to do those those first few shows from home, not seeing your co-host, you know, not seeing the producer, just not seeing each other in general, uh, where you're used to, to making quick decisions during the breaks. And, uh, you know, I know when to jump in, you know when to jump in. It, it was a, a very difficult dynamic to figure out over those early days. Uh, but I feel like the longer that we've gone, the more comfortable uh, I've been getting uh, from it. I never thought I'd miss the studio as much as I actually do right now. <laughs> uh, I'd love to get back there and, ju and just see everybody and, and kind of get into that atmosphere again. But I've carved a nice niche for myself at home, and I certainly can't complain. That, that's for sure. I know there's a lot of people out there uh, that are having a tough time with work and you know, a tough time finding work. Maybe they lost their job or something like that. So for me to be able to roll out of bed and you know, do, a, do a workout, eat breakfast at home, and, and then just do the show, and I'm already home. I hope to commute through Toronto. <laughs> right. uh, that's, that's a major plus to me. But I'm, I'm uh, fingers crossed hoping that we can get this pandemic over with as soon as possible and, uh, and get back to the studio because I, I do love going there. I do love doing the shows there. Uh, it certainly has been a, a major adjustment here, and I hope the shows are sounding better as, we, as we've gotten a bit more comfortable. Oh, they absolutely are. And, I mean, I, I don't think you can get any more comfortable than just – doing the show right there in your uh, in your skinny pants, eh? Or in yeah, your, yeah, in your maybe pants. maybe even in your birthday suit once in a while. Get, get the show done. Well, in those those uh, mid-August shows, I I'm not gonna, I'm not going to lie. I'm glad there wasn't a camera on me for those shows. Let's just let, let's just say that. It was uh there wasn't a lot of clothes happening in, in those months. All right. Well, we'll let the listeners <laughs> salivate on that one yeah. here. It is episode 69 by the way. Jake Hahn, Sirius XM nice. NHL Network Radio. Yeah, very nice. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jake. We'll uh, kind of move it over to the ice here. Um, Lesko, before he uh, peeled out for his radio bingo, um, he made sure to give me heck and say that I have to ask you Lesko's questions. So we'll, uh, he, he drapped it up a few questions for me. But All right. We'll, Fire we'll, him at me. Yeah, we'll kind of get right into it here. So um, he's got one here about the NBA. So there's talk about mm -hmm. the NBA, NBA returning on or before Christmas. Um, you know, the NHL, you just mentioned it before in one of your answers, Jake, um, the NHL and the NBA kind of run simultaneously. Um, yeah. They must be in talks. Is there anything that is bouncing off the NBA as far as the NHL is concerned? Are they talking? Are you hearing any kind of rumblings as to that relationship and how it could affect the NHL's return? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm certainly not on the inside of these talks. I'm, I'm kind of like you guys, just sort of waiting to see any kind of news. And I don't even think they really know at this point. I think you're just you're sort of throwing stuff out there and you're hoping for the best. Obviously, the pandemic still kind of controls everything. And we hope that that can, you know, temper down a little bit and maybe eventually you find a vaccine. And, uh, you know, those are things that are all kind of not really related to sports. Uh, but in relation to the question and in relation to the NBA and the NHL, I think this could actually work out quite well. For the NHL, we talk about how they usually run congruently with the NBA, both 82-game seasons. Uh, NHL usually starts a couple weeks before the NBA, uh, and then they end up having their playoffs at ba basically the exact same time. But if the NBA does plan to go before Christmas, I, I think this gives the NHL kind of a chance to, to let them go first and to let them sort of take the lead on everything, and they can just kind of come in and, and follow in behind, maybe make some adjustments, maybe tinker with it a little bit, uh, see things that they don't like, see things that they do like. So I think that actually puts the NHL at kind of an advantageous position uh, that the NBA is wanting to get to go ahead with this. Uh, you know, we know Christmas Day has always been a, a big day for the NBA, mm -hmm. so if they're 
uh, I, I makes sense that they would have that as sort of a target. You know, maybe a couple games before Christmas, and then have your big Christmas Day card, which uh, NBA fans always look forward to. So that makes complete sense for them. Uh, for the NHL, it always made sense to me around early January. You know, you get the Winter Classic. That's already been, uh, you know, kibosh. We're not doing that. Uh, but that always that timeline always made sense to me for the NHL. Sometime in January, it does feel like that could get pushed back uh, into February. But like I said, I think it's a good thing that the NBA is going first and the NHL can maybe learn uh, from some of their mistakes and some of the things that they do well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And what better opportunity to have a, a road already paved for you by basically, like you said, a congruent ran sport that has you know, way much more money available to them than you do. So let's see how yeah. they figure it out first. And then kind of, like you said, use the blueprint, make a few adjustments where, where it's needed. And, you know, we, we talk about those adjustments. I, I myself, you know, completely uneducated on the topic. Well, I'm maybe not completely, but I'm just saying I have no inside information. But I, I was saying that I, I didn't imagine that the league would be able to start anywhere before maybe you know what is normally the all-star break so yeah. that last week i guess of january i mean at this point jake i don't really think that there's any real hope of january 1st is there like it seems no. way too close no it is way too close and i completely agree with you I, I think january 1st was sort of the target after we handed out the stanley cup that people initially circled and thought okay yeah if we can speed this thing up if all goes well over these next couple months maybe january 1st can work maybe we can start it out with a winter classic how nice would that be that'd be a lot of fun uh, but i think the closer and closer we got to the date that we're at right now that became extremely unrealistic i'm talking to you on uh, november 4th if we're looking at january 1st that's less than than two months away and you mm -hmm. still got to have a a preseason and a ramp up and everything like that and I, I certainly don't think you want to rush this thing you don't want to jam those things in you want to make sure you do this safely uh, and sort of check all the boxes before you go through with everything so I'm almost safe to throw January 1st out the window I would tend to agree with you that maybe late January could be uh, an easier target something in the third week maybe the last week of January uh, and February is probably the most realistic option so the the more we push it back the more we get into to February and you know, possibly mid-February or something like that, I, I think the shorter the season is going to have to be because I, I don't believe anybody really wants to go deep into August again. If we can avoid that, I think that's that would be best for everybody. No, and I mean, you know, I, I see a lot of talk about the Olympics. You know, Bill Daly wants to say it's mm -hmm. not a big deal. Uh, you know, I mean, where there's I don't smoke... know if you want your playoffs going up against the Olympics. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just tough, it. Yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And there's a new TV deal coming in, and Seattle is coming in at, what, the beginning of next year, right? Isn't that when it happens yes. already? Yeah. Like, they can't be delaying the the start of the Seattle's new, like, inaugural season. They got to get oh, this I'm... wrapped up. I, I need that now. I need I need those. I need the cracking on the ice. I'm fired up about the cracking. I don't know about you. We can quickly get off topic. But you, oh, go ahead. Are you, are you in on the cracking? Are yes. you in on the jersey and the logo and everything? Okay, dude, good, I love I'm, it. I'm all in. I'm all over it. I'm actually, I'm going to be getting uh, my fiance a Kraken jersey. Absolutely. <laughs> like I'm going to be getting her like a oh. sweet little, like one of those female shapes so that looks nice on them and like get a player. I'm going to get whatever, okay, I, whatever player, whatever cornerstone they get. You, you, you said it was, I, I was going to say, is that a gift that, that you're going to give to her that ends up as your gift? But once you said it was the, the female one, okay. So yeah, she, no, I, for she her. Like it. It's not you getting her a Kraken jersey. And no, no. Like, her, I right? mean, she, okay, she, she's going to want the Leafs to win because it's ingrained upon her now. She's agreed to marry me. She's agreed to carry my child. So <laughs> it's, it's her call. Leafs are ingrained or deal with it. 
and uh, you know, so she can do the leaf thing, but then she can also be a like a ground floor Kraken fan. She's got she's got five years of hockey knowledge under her belt with you know beside me, runoff from me, which is probably a lot because all I do is. <laughs> fucking talk about <laughs> hockey all the time yeah. she doesn't care at all she doesn't care at all and i'm just like oh hey babe you know we signed uh hutchinson and she's like oh you mean that goalie that you hated and i'm like oh my god you do listen she actually listened <laughs> Boy, you found the right you found the right one you, exactly you did good there. exactly yeah but i'm i'm fully down with the crack and i know you i know you're like a you're a jersey guy too eh? you like to yeah. see what kind of numbers guys are going to be wearing so i'm really excited to see like what what kind of flashy number on a on a flashy player will be representing the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I was going to say, Mataraz is actually the local jersey number expert. He loves his jersey numbers. It, right. That's that's all the guy cares about, and I love him for that. So I'm more of a the jersey logo guy. I like I like the jerseys, the different colors, the different looks. Uh, and when I heard that Kraken was possibly going to be the name, we actually had John Hoven uh, on our program uh, months before it was announced, and he was very confident that it was going to be Kraken. And I thought, okay, well, it's not confirmed, but it, don't get my hopes up here because if, if you tell me it's Kraken and it's not Kraken, I'm going to be really upset. I agree. Uh, because I, lo- I love that name. I was I was getting real fired up for that possibility. I, I couldn't believe they actually did it, and I thought they nailed it with the logo and the look of the jerseys. I can't wait to see those things on the ice. And uh, we'll see if they can replicate some of the success that the Vegas Gold Knights had in year number one. But mm-hmm. I think the bar the bar has been set pretty high. I don't know if they'll be able to reach that in year number one. Yeah, those are tough boots to fill for an opening act uh, for your inaugural season. But, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think the color scheme, I mean, it might be the best in the league, saying it. Yeah, I... I, I'm going to need to see it on the ice first. That's Fair. that's my one thing. It's, I I got to see it on the ice. I got to see it maybe a few times to to really put it into that category. But uh, it got me real excited. I I'm not someone that buys a ton of jerseys anymore. But when I saw it, I I still want to see what the roster is going to look like, and maybe I'll get a, a Seattle Kraken player jersey, uh, whoever they end up with on their roster going into that inaugural season. That's exciting. It's going to be exciting to see. Uh, okay, quickly back to the ice here, Jake. i got to fulfill Lesko's dream and desire here to get these questions in. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so we had a report on ESPN. Uh, I believe it was Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski. Uh, several, it was actually quite an extensive article. Um, in the article, it was mentioned that several NHL owners have suggested to Gary Bettman that the NHL may be better off financially by canceling the next season since the mm-hmm. league is largely driven by gate revenue. So assuming that they're forging ahead with a no-matter-what kind of mentality, is there any opportunity for teams to actually opt out of the season? Well, I certainly hope not. I, I hope we don't get to that point. And I, I read that exact article that you're referencing, and I, you know, the, the thoughts are certainly out there from some of the owners, so that does put the doubt into your mind. Uh, and it's an interesting point to bring up, and this is something that you know we should be talking about when we're looking about the NHL's uh, return to uh, return to play, and uh, you know, trying to get this season in as best as possible. It's a gate-driven league. It really is. They rely a lot on the revenue uh, from fans coming to games. And if you can't have a, a full, you know, sold-out arena every single night, that's going to hurt you. Now, 
Uh, can you get by with maybe a half arena and some social distancing in, in crowds? We've seen it in other sports right now. Uh, we saw it uh, in the French Open uh, in tennis. They had you know people spread out a little bit wearing masks, and, and that seemed to work quite well there. Uh, we're seeing it in college football and, and in the NFL in some places as well uh, where they're allowing a certain number of, of fans into the stadiums. And you know in some cases, people are social distancing. In others, I, I don't know, I've watched a few college games. There's not a lot of social distancing going on there and uh, not a lot of mask wearing either. That depends uh, so, what state you're in. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's a kind of a contentious topic right now, too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think when you're looking you're, when you're looking at the NHL, it, you know, it obviously would be a positive to get as many fans as you can in the building. It's just a matter of how safely can you do it. And you don't want to take any risks with health. Uh, so, again, it's really going to come down to what happens with the virus over the next couple of months as we get ready to to return. And I do think that there is a possibility that maybe some teams just can't make it happen financially. Uh, if we get into a situation where we can't have fans into the building, I, I do think the season could be in jeopardy. Uh, that, that to me, is sort of a, a deal-breaker in this whole situation. I don't, I don't think that the NHL can go an entire year uh, playing bubble hockey. I, I just don't know how that would work financially. Uh, do you think there's any financial impact as far as the Canadian division is concerned, as we saw or yeah. heard um, Bill Foley you know, maybe tip in the hand a little bit, who knows, but kind of alluding to the, the Canadian division being a very realistic possibility. Yeah, that, well, that really intrigues me, and the fact that he's sort of come out and said that that is a possibility to me, where there's smoke, there's fire, and it just makes sense. I mean, Josh, you, you live in Canada, you've been following this uh, over the past handful of months, you know, we keep pushing back the date of, you know, opening up the border, and, uh, you know, this is going a lot longer than I think some people expected it to go, uh, and I, I see it very difficult in my mind that we're able to travel back and forth between the U.S. and Canada quite a bit. Uh, and it does seem like it would be the safer play to maybe have a, a Canadian division. So financially, I don't know how that's really all going to work. It, as, a, as a Canadian and a Canadian hockey fan, it's pretty intriguing to me to think of all of those teams in the same division. You know, Toronto, Montreal, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, all the teams in the West all together in one division. I think could, could it could be pretty cool. You know, it could really work out, uh, and it could be the safest way to, to go about things. Uh, we saw a bit of an example of that, actually. I'm not a huge soccer guy. I don't know about you, uh, but I do follow the uh, local uh, soccer team, the uh, TFC, okay. and uh, Major League Soccer did something similar very early on. They, they kept, uh, for about a month or so, I think it was, they only played uh, games between Canadian teams, and they only played games between American teams. And they, there's only three Canadian teams in Major League Soccer. It's Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were basically playing each other three or four times in the month and just kind of rotating. And it seemed to work well. And, and eventually they were able to get those Canadian teams into the States when uh, things loosened up a little bit. So it seems like it is feasible. Uh, very interesting to think about. I, I still think option number one is to try to, to go on with the season, with the regular divisions, how it's set up. Uh, how, how we've always had it, and you hope that you can get some number of fans in the buildings. But uh, it does look like the NHL is preparing for possible plan B, C, D, and, and maybe even more than that. Yeah, and that's also is going to be the reason for, you know, taking a little bit longer. Some people I've heard asking, you know, well, how come we haven't had any news? Where's all the meetings? We should be moving on this. Well, I mean, they are. Like, they're definitely yeah. moving <laughs> on it here. It's just when, when there's no news, you know, no news is not good news. So 
just you know chill out we'll find something out soon you know and there's only there's only so much you can do there's only so much you can do when you're kind of at the mercy of a global pandemic right none of us have really been in this situation before including everybody trying to put on this nhl season so i'm staying patient i'm certainly not impatient with this and thinking no where's my news where's my start date uh, for the national hockey league i'm hoping it's earlier rather than later i want to see hockey back uh, as quickly as possible but hey at least we'll get a little taste uh, in a little over a month we'll get the some world junior hockey i think that'll be real nice after a few months with no hockey yeah no kidding that'll be a great uh, a great refresher um okay lastly uh, just a couple more things for you jake um so also in that espn report Lesko uh, made note of the shorter season. So he says mm-hmm. he's always been a real propon- a proponent of the shorter season, thinks it'll result in more favorable scheduling, healthier players yeah. generally, and overall a better quality of play. Uh, so he says to Jake, I know this mm-hmm. affects you as both a fan and someone who works in the hockey media. So uh, he wants your thoughts on, on the shorter season. It's interesting because, I mean, in this instance, I'm okay with any number of games. Obviously, I'd like to see as many games as possible because I I love hockey. I love watching it. I want to see a a long season with a lot of games. I've always been of the camp that I like 82. I think that that's a perfect number in a regular season. Obviously, this isn't going to be a normal year. And I think you're looking at something closer to maybe half. I, you know, being optimistic, I was thinking maybe something in the 60s. Uh, the the more we push this thing back, the more we're talking about February and things like that. I think maybe something in the 40s, even the 50s, uh, makes sense for an amount of games. And I'm I'm totally cool with that. I'm fine with that for a year. Uh, I don't I'm don't know if I totally agree with shortening the season long term uh, for all time. I, I do think 82 games works, and I just think there's too much money involved that the teams don't want less games they need that gate revenue we already talked about how much the nhl and some of these nhl teams really rely on that gate revenue so they need their 82 games especially for teams that don't make the playoffs that's where they're going to make their money Mm -hmm. Uh, but in a situation like this i'm perfectly fine with the shortened season i we saw it happen uh, with major league baseball i i was kind of skeptical at first i i was somebody that you know while baseball was kind of hanging up in the air I thought, okay, if you can't do 162, you know, what's really the point in doing this season? Then they were they they come in, they do basically two months of baseball before the playoffs. I came around. I, I ended up really enjoying it, and I thought they, you know, they gave out a, a deserving winner, and they had a fun uh, fun little playoffs as well. So yeah, same it here. ended up. Yeah, it ended up working out. I really enjoyed it, uh, even though I was a bit reticent at first, and I thought, hey, I'm, I'm okay just kind of scrapping the season. Uh, in this instance, I'm okay shortening it to whatever works. Uh, you know, what, Whatever we can get these games in, uh, I still think it'll be fair in, in terms of the standings. You'll still get to play almost everybody, depending on the divisions, depending on how, on how we sort things out. So yeah. uh, for, for this instance, I'm totally fine playing half a season if that's what we have to do. Yeah, and I remember I agree with you totally on the baseball aspect because I remember – um, saying recently, I, I was chatting with a friend of mine. I said, well, if, if you're going to asterisk anything, I, I, like if you have to talk about it for all the sports, just because of the break and the stop and everything, baseball is probably the, the least asterisk-y sport you had, right? Because they actually had like a full thing. Like it was a full, well, full thing from start to finish. Yeah, I think the, the one, my one uh, skepticism coming in for the baseball season for me uh, is because the regular season can be, I know it's a grind for a lot of people watching the 162 games, but the regular season can be so important because you got to win your division. But once they expanded the playoffs a little bit, uh, I, I did think the one thing I didn't like about Major League Baseball uh, after they expanded the playoffs was I, I felt like September uh, wasn't September. Usually September, I'm right into the playoff races. Yeah. You know, I'm checking the standings. I'm thinking, okay, how far are the Blue Jays back? 
uh, usually pretty far by that point. And then, you know, I'm looking at, at, the, at the division races all over, and, and I, I really enjoy that, that time of the year as a baseball fan, the lead-up to the playoffs. I thought that was kind of taken away this year just because of the expanded playoffs uh, and the shortened season that it, they kind of just let everybody in, and they let, they let some very mediocre teams in. So I didn't love that, but I think once you got into, into the playoffs, it was very normal. It's what we, we came to expect as baseball fans, and there was certainly no asterisk on the, on the L.A. Dodgers winning. That team is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the payroll that they have, some of the superstars they have, no shock. Uh, that they were able to go out and win. It is kind of funny, too, on, on that topic, that uh, it was really chalk favorites all over the place with the three major sports uh, that, that you know handed trophies out over the past handful of months. I just mentioned it with the L.A. Dodgers, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, a heavy favorite as well winning, uh, and then, of course, in hockey, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So usually we see some surprises, but not this year. Three, uh, three quality teams that a lot of people thought were going to win. Yeah, they went in and they took care of business. And it, it, it didn't void uh, the pandemic and the silliness of the season and everything else. But what it did do was basically confirm that if you're one of the best teams or the best team, then you can win the cup or win the trophy, (laughs) you know, and, and, but we all know sports has a bit of random to it, maybe a lot of random actually. So it doesn't always quite work out the way you spoke about it earlier with Tampa finally getting over the hump and lo and behold, they get over the hump amidst this crazy season. Like we both said before, they would have loved to have done it in a normal world, but really the point isn't about whether it's a normal world or not. It's about this team being the best team and they proved it. Well, quickly on that too, I I do think that, and now we got a bit of a sample size on it with three different leagues that handed out uh, a champion over those past handful of months. Uh, that maybe that did favor the better teams, the fact that there was no travel. And I, I think that just takes a variable out of it, right? We talk about best teams on paper not always winning. I, I think sometimes what keeps underdogs in these in the situations is maybe a little travel back and forth. You know, the, the home ice advantage, the home field advantage, whatever sport you might be playing, uh, can give an advantage to the underdog, can keep them in these series a little bit longer and can maybe creep that doubt in to the, the favorite team. But I think when you're in a bubble situation, when you're playing in the same same place, you're not traveling at all, I think that favors the better team because all situations are equal. There's there's not as many variables, uh, and usually the cream is going to rise to the top in that situation. So that was just something I kind of noticed uh, with the three major sports coming back and awarding their championships that stood out to me. Yeah, that's a really good point. It kind of relates to something I was chatting with someone about once um, before the hockey returned was you know, oh, I could go to anybody's game. Everybody's going to be sloppy. Everybody's not going to be uh, yeah. on their game and all this and the other that. I said, yeah, but the thing you have to remember is it. I, I, I see your point. They're all going there and they haven't been playing for a while. But still, this team's version of sloppy, choppy, not up to snuff is going to be way better than this team's version of not you know up yeah. to snuff quite yet because, <laughs> because they are simply better. So kind of ties in with your point there too. Like if you're simply the better team, just sitting in the hotel and playing on the golf simulator and going to watch a movie yeah. and going to play some ping pong <laughs> and then going to tear it up on the, on the ice, like they just they worked it out. It was perfect. Well, I, I think we're uh, the teams that really succeeded too, and we saw it obviously with the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
I think we're the teams that were able to really embrace the bubble and, you know, teams that are close knit. And, you know, you mentioned it at the golf simulator, having fun, uh, you know, early, the early days of the NHL bubble, we were getting a lot of pictures of, you know, the guys hanging out and, and killing time and playing ping pong and, and playing on the golf simulator. And it looked like a, a giant minor league hockey tournament. I'm sure yes. you played them growing up yes. and it, it brought back a lot of good memories. That, that was the most fun of those tournaments. It wasn't playing hockey. It was hanging out with your buds in between games and mini you know, sticks in the hallway. Yeah, exactly. Mini sticks in the hallway. I can't even tell you how many hours I spend uh, in between hockey playing playing those. Uh, but I think it really favored those teams, teams that are close knit, you know, that have that kind of camaraderie off the ice. You're spending a lot more time with your teammates because you're in this bubble situation. Uh, you're away from your family and everything like that. So you're kind of forced to hang out. And I think the teams that actually had that camaraderie and actually truly liked each other were the teams that were going to succeed. We saw it with Tampa Bay. We saw it with the New York Islanders as well on the Eastern Conference side of the bracket. They seemed like a team that really liked each other, and they were having a lot of fun in the mm -hmm. bubble, and uh, we saw that coming out, and it led to them going to the Eastern Conference final and getting pretty close to, to winning the whole thing. So it felt like the teams that were able to embrace that early on uh, and say, hey, we're here. We might be here for a couple months. Let's make the most of it. Those were the teams that ended up the most successful, and you could tell maybe a few teams just didn't take to it as quickly, and, and those were the teams that had their bags packed all ready mm -hmm. all right well perfect segue to last one for you and then i'll let you go jake for the evening thanks again for stopping in once again course, here on the pucks in deep podcast um perfect segue you talked about camaraderie talked about being off the ice talked about being a tight-knit group i have to get your thoughts on the leafs off season it's been pretty busy off season and i know that you guys don't necessarily zone in a whole lot on the leafs on mm -hmm. the sirius xm nhl network radio channel 91 uh, which is a good thing because there's just a billion other ways to consume it. Uh, this yeah. <laughs> this podcast being one, um, you know. So let me, let me hear your thoughts, man. Like, put you on the spot, put yeah. you on serious radio. What do you think is going on here? How do you like yeah, the season? Well, well, I was actually interested to get your take on it too, but I'll I'll go first, and I'll let I'll I'm interested to hear what you have to say about the team. That was something I wanted to ask you uh, before I, I I signed off here. I thought it was a pretty solid off season overall. I'm I'm going to score to win uh, for Kyle Dubas and. Trust me, I have been kind of down on what Kyle Dubas has done over the past couple couple of seasons, and I think there's been some mistakes made. There's been some money given out. There's been a lot of money given out. Let's let's not lie about that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everybody here got their money, and you can look at each contract individually and say, yeah, that player is worth that money. Austin Matthews, yeah, sure, he's worth over eleven million dollars. Fantastic player. Uh, John Tavares, yeah, you could kind of argue that one a little bit. Uh, Mitch Marner, sure, that that one's not too egregious. But when you throw it all together, and William Nylander as well, what's he at about? seven million dollars per season that's right. a pretty fair number for a Nylander but really when you add it all together you get into a situation where you're kind of filling out your roster with league minimum players so he put himself in a tricky situation uh, he knew it was going to be a, a tricky offseason uh, and he kind of did this to himself this is the way that he set up the roster now he didn't know that there was going to be a pandemic and a flat cap and uh, other general managers around the league didn't know that either and uh, you just kind of have to deal with that and roll with the punches a little bit uh, and make do with what you with what you have but I do think looking at the blue line uh, and that was sort of the the big concern we know they have talent up front on that roster we know that they can score goals uh, the question mark has always been on the blue line to me and how can you make it better and I think Kyle Dubas did as good of a job as possible in making that blue line better bringing in TJ Brody a player that I really like uh, you give him four years okay maybe the last year of that deal he's into his mid-30s not looking quite as good but I, I, I'm pretty comfortable giving him five million dollars for the next four years to go along with guys like Jake Muzzin and Morgan 
Morgan Riley. Uh, we're still watching Rasmus Sandin come along. Uh, I still kind of like Travis Dermott probably more than most people do. Uh, maybe he finds a spot in the lineup. But you've at least got some more depth there on the back end. And I think you don't need the blue line to be the best in the league. If you're the Leafs, I think you need the blue line to at least be league average. Just yeah. have a league, a league average blue line. Uh, let your offense do do the work, and I think that you can le- be a legit Stanley Cup contending team. Maybe they're even better than league average. Maybe they overachieve a little bit uh, in that category, but I, I think that's really all they need. The one thing I want to say before I throw it over to you, too, uh, I didn't love the Freddie Anderson uh, trade rumors or the fact that, that he was possibly going to get dealt. Uh, I just didn't see how that made a lot of sense for the Maple Leafs. That, to me, uh, felt like a step back. I understand he is an unrestricted free agent, uh, at the end of this season. So maybe you don't have long-term plans for him, but I think if you want to be a legit cup contender going into next year, uh, and I certainly think the Leafs have potential to get into that category, you need a legit number one goaltender. And to me, Frederick Anderson is still a legit number one goaltender. So I'm glad Kyle Dubas didn't trade him. I think that was the right thing to do. And overall, I, I still think that this is a real talented roster going into next season. You get a full year uh, with Sheldon Keith behind the bench, he doesn't have to come in mid-season. Maybe that helps things out a little bit. Uh, you know, a young guy like Nick Robertson maybe gets a crack at, at the lineup. So there's some things to look forward to in Leafland. But I want to throw it over to you, Josh. You're the you're the big Leaf fan here. I want to hear what your take on everything that's going on there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm almost ashamed to admit, but I mean, I, I was big on the Petrangelo cha- uh, train. Um, just yeah. just because I felt like it was, I don't know. I think probably I had a little a little emotion invested into that one but it was kind of at the point where it it was something that they have never had you know they've never the team as long as I'm concerned as long as I've been alive they've never had that player that one player they've had every other player possible at various points throughout the team's history but they've never had that player so you know while TJ Brody's not quite that player I think I agree with you I I love the signing and I think it's a a completely uh, adequate other option i think it's probably a better option in hindsight yes in hindsight i think it's a better option than petrangelo ever would have been but what the reason why i was saying i was almost ashamed to admit it is because because of my investment in petrangelo freddie got some collateral damage thrown his way as in <laughs> as in you know okay if we're trying to figure out different ways that we can get petrangelo here um you know maybe moving on from freddie is one of those options because as we can so clearly see you don't need to have any money in goaltending to get there but you do yeah. because vasilevsky won the cup okay and he is you know first round draft pick gets a lot of money to play goaltender so he just proved me incorrect but you know on the other side of the sheet two games away from winning it all is anton kudobin uh, you know, a journeyman making uh, not so much money, right? So, I mean, there's a way to to get there. I think Frederick Anderson still has the capability to get us there, but I do worry slightly about that next moment where you know it's gut check time, it's nervous time, it's don't mm-hmm. let any, it's don't let anything in time, especially from the goal line kind of thing. You know, I get a little nervous yeah. about that. I have to admit. That's fair. Yeah, no, and I think that's completely fair. And he still hasn't proven that he can win the big games. And, you know, there's no guaranteeing that you get into that situation that he's going to be the guy uh, to lead you there. My whole thing is, if, if you were looking at, you know, bringing in a Petrangelo or you eventually bring in a TJ Brody, if you're getting rid of Frederick Anderson to do that, you know, if you're looking at the Leafs as kind of a leaky boat, you know, they've got, you know, there's some holes in the boat, you know, you're kind of taking one plug out 
uh, and then just putting it somewhere else. So the boat's still leaking. Yeah. And then you got another problem between the pipes. And sure, Jack Campbell has looked pretty good. Uh, you've got some other guys in the system. But then all of a sudden, you're kind of left looking at, at trying to find a goaltender. And you don't want to get into a situation where, you know, you gave a, a, a free agent like an Alex Petrangelo a ton of money. Uh, you got rid of your goaltender, and then you get into a uh, you know a playoff situation or important moments, and you, you just can't make a save. So, and then you're kind of taking a step back uh, in that category. So, I, I think all, all in all, when you look at what Petrangelo got, when you look at what Brody got, I believe it's about three point eight million dollars less on the AAV. That's right. Uh, you didn't have to go nearly as long on the term, and both of those players are are the same age. Now, Petrangelo is clearly the better player. I think. All of us can agree on that, and that's the reason why you get T.J. Brody at a discount. Uh, but I think with Brody in there, I, I'm still very bullish on Morgan Riley. I, I think that he's a tremendous defenseman, probably not in Petrangelo's category, but uh, maybe the next tier below. Uh, you throw Jake Muzzin in there as well. All of a sudden, you got the makings of a pretty nice blue line on paper. And on paper is great. you got to go out there on the ice and, and show that you can get it done. But I think there is major potential uh, in an improved Leafs blue line going into next season. Yeah, and I mean, we don't even know what to expect with this Lettinen guy coming over here. I was going to call him That's a kid. Right, yeah, but I was going to call him a kid, but he's 26. I mean, he's 26, just, yeah. Well, he's turning 27 soon. You know, so he's going to be 27. I'm, I'm just on cap friendly right now. So he's a January baby, right? So he's going to be 27. I mean, yeah. he's playing with men. He's developed as far as, you know, physical is concerned. You don't want to put too many eggs in that basket. But, geez, you know what I've heard recently over all these various shows, you know, yours, Overdrive, all these other things that I listen to? They're talking about hitting on these prospects. Like, at some point, at some point, and I don't mean prospects, sorry, but hitting on these players from overseas. You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to have to hit eventually, no? Like they throw a lot of yeah. darts at the dartboard. Eventually something's going to have to work out. And wouldn't it be nice if this guy was one of them? Well, I think that's a really good point to bring up because you're kind of looking at it like you look at the draft, right? The more darts you throw at the dartboard in a draft, the more likely you're going to find a guy in the fourth round and, and he's going to end up being a player for you. Same thing when you're, you're t- throwing these darts overseas, right? The more that you throw... The more guys you bring over and you give them a chance for one year, you might find an Artemi Panarin all of a sudden. You know, mm-hmm. you might find uh, somebody that can be really effective for your team, and we've seen that in the NHL over the past handful of years, guys coming over uh, and being impact players. Majority, we've seen them come over. It doesn't work. You know, they don't have nearly the same success in the NHL as they did overseas, but I think it's at the, at the very least, it's worth trying, and it's something Kyle Dubas has done quite a bit of, uh, is trying to mine talent from over there, and I, I think that's a very smart way of doing it because you could catch a, a gem. All it takes is sort of that one lucky dart uh, to find the bullseye, and you could have a legit top-pairing defenseman or uh, a top three, top six forward at some point. Yeah, and in the same breath, I mean, the these darts are obviously a lot older. I think they might be made of wood, but, you know, you're, <laughs> bringing, old school wood darts. you're, you're yeah. bringing back Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton. You Ooh, know, the, yeah, how, about, the, how about Joe Thornton? I want to get your take on that before before I, I sign off with you. Yeah, the tips on those darts are worn down a little bit. But l- listen, okay, that's where I was segueing from when you were talking about the bubble and talking about, you know, Tampa coming together as a team, even Dallas coming together as a team, a lot of camaraderie, a uh, tight-knit group. I, I just can't help but think that Joe Thornton is like, 96%, let's say 97 because that's what he's going to wear, 97% yeah. <laughs> off ice and 3% on ice. That's that's that signing. Like I feel like the Joe Thornton signing at 41 years old and 700,000 is like, Joe, please get in here and <laughs> wrangle up these fucking misfits and show them how to do it. 
You know, we, yeah. we need some assistance in this regard. And it goes beyond Joe Thornton. I mean, it goes it goes to Zach Bogosian. You know, it goes, to, obviously, Spezza coming back. It goes to Wayne Simmons as well. You know, I mean, there's guys coming in here now that I think is a lot more to do with off the ice and helping that mentality develop into a winning mentality. Yeah, it's clear that... you. You know, you have your superstar players up front. We've already sort of been over that. You've got young, youthful uh, talent up front that's making a lot of money, that's paid to score their goals. And I think this is an interesting way of, of sort of building up your bottom six. I know you got a lot of old guys back there. Jason Spetz is 37 years old. Uh, you bring in a 40-plus, Joe Thornton. Uh, Wayne Simmons isn't exactly young either. Uh, you're starting to fill out your bottom six with a lot of older talent. And people might question that a little bit, and I, I certainly have my concerns and some questions as well. But philosophically, you look at it, if you're bringing up young talent uh, from the American Hockey League and throwing them into the bottom six, uh, if they're supposed to be talented players that can score, they're probably not going to score in the bottom six. It's just not a role that's going to work for them. Uh, so there's almost no point calling those guys up and sort of filling out your bottom six. So you've got some veteran players, you've got kind of some grit, uh, you know, some guys that, that have been through it before, and I think those are valuable assets to have. I'll just be really interested to see how Sheldon Keefe uh, sort of manages it all, manages all those veterans. You know, does he uh, kind of rotate them in a little bit? You don't have them all in one night. Uh, you can healthy scratch some guys uh, uh, some nights depending on, on how they play. But, but he does have some options to work with and quite a bit of depth there uh, in that bottom six. It'll be real, real weird as a hockey fan to see Joe Thornton wearing a, a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey next season whenever that starts. I know. It's a, it's a very, it's almost, it's almost unsettling. Because it's been yes. so long. I mean, he yeah. came into the league, like, I don't even know when. I mean, the typewriter was still a thing when Joe was in the league. <laughs> it feels that way, yeah. You know? And, and he's been in my whole life almost. Yeah. And, like, he was just this constant player. Like, I know you probably got into fantasy at an early age like myself. Like, he was just mm -hmm. this constant fantasy player. Like, I hope I can get Joe. Like yeah, I, I hope I, I hope I can get Joe because I'm just gonna get a hundy. It's gonna be great, you know. And, and I mean, yeah. obviously, we're not at that point in his career. Everybody says it, it kind of goes without saying, but you know what doesn't go without saying is how badly I think he's actually required. I think his persona, I think his um, dedication to not only the game but also the dedication to his team, like. Uh, he, I, I just—he's such a team guy. I, I don't know him, yeah. but you see him all the time in the highlights. He's—he's he's like photo bombing people's interviews. He's talking about whipping <laughs> his dick out <laughs> if he scores four goals. <laughs> you know, like he's just such a beauty, and I think he's yeah. just so so required. I think his services are are like so valuable to this team. Yeah, he seems like a contagious personality, and I'll be interested to see how that dynamic all plays out. All due respect to Jason Spezza, he was the veteran they brought in last year. I don't know if he brings the exact same energy and the aura uh, that a Joe Thornton brings, a future walk-in Hall of Famer uh, in Joe Thornton. I think a lot of these players, uh, a lot of these young players on the Maple Leafs have been watching him their entire lives. Yes. Ever since they were born, they've been watching Joe Thornton. And to have him come in, I, I know they've, they've played against him at this point. It's not like they're in total awe of him coming in. But to have him around the team all the time, I think that that can only really benefit things. And it does feel like if you read quotes from him, he's perfectly fine buying into any role that the Leafs give him. You know, you mentioned you think it's going to be mostly off ice. I would tend to agree with that. I think, you know, a lot of the reason why he's brought in 
is to be a mentor for these guys and to kind of be a leader of this group or one of the leaders of this group. He's not coming in to score 80 points. That, that That's for certain. Right. Uh, you know, you know you, we know he can chip in. We know he's a great playmaker. Maybe you throw him on one of the power play units or something like that, and he can certainly do some damage there. Uh, but it is going to be an interesting dynamic, something fun to follow. Uh, and I like some of these sneaky depth moves that, uh, that, that Kyle Dubas made. I'll have my eye on Wayne Simmons as well to see if he can turn things around. Yeah, and I just think that these guys understand their roles when they come into the team and they see the talent that's available, um, you know, on the team, whether it be for, you know, just opening up the ice for them or creating more confidence for those players on a nightly basis, you know, or trying to draw penalties and get your big boys out there. Like, there's just so many, there's so many intangibles, I think, that can be offered by some of these pickups, whereas previously and i admitted this to lesco earlier in the episode i thought that we were too deep in terms of speed and skill uh you know for a team to to get past us or to stop us and obviously columbus Mm -hmm. proved twice in a row that they can do it right they swept the lightning and then they you know kind of just handled the leafs leafs were clawing to get in get back in the series and couldn't so obviously that wasn't a winning formula so I don't know. I mean, I'm really excited. I, I hate to sound like the stupid biased Leaf fan, but with <laughs> with the changes that have been made, they're significant. And, you know, lovers and haters of the Leafs alike can agree on that fact. Like, there's some pretty significant changes that have been made. You can scoff at them all you want, but we've got to wait till the puck is down to really make an assessment here. Well, they're clearly a talented team. I think anybody that watches hockey can agree with that and can agree that they have super talented players up front at, at the very least. And it's just a matter of get really getting over that hump. And it, it does feel like a situation where once they get a, uh, you know some sort of series win, some sort of good feeling, uh, that it could start to roll in their direction, that they just need to kind of get one, uh, and then maybe it can really work for them moving forward. Because I, I think that on paper that this is a really solid team. And uh, you don't obviously want to make excuses, but I, I do think that the bubble situation, you don't want to overreact to losing to the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, you know, in a, in a best-of-five scenario where you're playing bubble hockey. Yeah, yeah. It's, a team that, it's a team that you should beat with a crowd or no crowd. I, I totally understand that. Uh, but you ran into a real hot goaltender. Uh, you ran into or a couple hot goaltenders, uh, and you ran into a, a good coach in John Tortorella and a team that was just kind of outworking you. And I think that's something that uh, the Leafs will have to look at when they when they get into their next playoff situation, I, assuming that they do make the playoffs, uh, is that you can't get outworked. You, you, talent is one thing. Uh, but to win in the playoffs, you have to be the hardest working team on the ice. And maybe that's something that a guy like Joe Thornton can really show this group uh, next season. Yeah, well, and let's not forget that, you know, a disappointing early loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets was part of the recipe for a Stanley Cup champion in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can follow in their footsteps. I said, to right. Le- I said to Lesko, it seems crazy to even, like, try and joke about the Leafs winning the Cup. But the funny thing is, is if... You know, you just have to win rounds. I I know that they haven't won a round in a hundred years, but all you have to do is win a round. It's not like once they win that round, it's over. Like, you know, you win that round, you win another round. You, you know, you just try to outlast somebody. That's all it is. Get in, yeah. you know, get in and tr- and see what happens from there, basically. It, well, it just feels like that could be a weight off the shoulders type situation for them. If they were to get into a, a first round scenario, you know, kind of pick your team in the Eastern Conference, uh, and they get through it, 
I think there'll be just a bit of a relief to say, okay, well, we got one. You know, at least we got one. Uh, now we kind of know what it takes to, to win a series. Uh, and it's not like they've been far off. You know, you lose to Boston a couple times in a game seven. You lose in a, a bubble situation to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Again, you don't want to make excuses. Uh, this, this team should be winning. They shouldn't be getting bounced in the first round. Uh, but it's not like they're far off. It's not like they're getting blown out in these games or in this series. Uh, and, you know, all it takes is, is maybe something to go your way uh, and the ball can start to roll downhill for them. So I, I think they're going to be an interesting team. If you look at the betting odds uh, going into this year, Vegas still thinks very highly of them. They're, they're, they're up there uh, in terms of the betting odds. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but uh, Vegas usually knows more than I do. So if they if they have them there, they got to think that they're a, a legit cup contender going into next well, year. Well, Lesko got him at 16, and he's all happy okay. about it. Okay. Good luck, Lesko. Good, <laughs> good luck, buddy. <laughs> all right, man. Bad. Well, listen, I'll wrap it up with you, Jake. Jeez, it's been an hour, my friend. Thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it as well. I, I love coming on with you, Josh. Congrats, too, on, on the new place. I can't wait to uh, to get the invite to come check out the Man Cave when things are all normal again. We can maybe watch some hockey together. I'll make, I'll make the drive out there. Hey, all right. I got you on record yeah. for that. <laughs> Sign, sign me up. Me and uh, oh, I gotta get your Masters pick too before we get. I know you're a big golf guy, right? I, I'm assuming you're picking Tiger Woods. I know you're a big Tiger. Oh Woods guy. boy, wow! Talk about putting me on the spot. We got <laughs> so we got a guest coming next week. You'll like him. You're familiar with him. Um, he's coming next week. He'll be appearing on the show for the first time. We're gonna have a nice Masters segment. We're gonna talk about betting and you know who we think we're gonna pick. So I haven't actually really settled into it too too much, okay. but. Off the top of my head, I mean, I, I don't think it's smart to call Tiger because, I mean, he's just, he doesn't have the reps. But then it's Augusta, yeah. man. Like, there's magic there, you know? <laughs> there is. It's like saying that Mickey Mouse isn't going to do well at Disneyland. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's, a good, that's, a, that's a great analogy. But I, I, I mean, I don't disagree. I don't think you can count him out. He won't be my pick. I would love to see him win again and go back to back. That would just be... Uh, incredible television to watch, to watch that all play out uh, like we did last time. So, yeah, I won't be picking Tiger. I've got a couple guys in mind. I'm going to uh, wait uh, to hear that podcast drop. I'm really interested to hear your guys' take next week as, as you lead into the Masters with some golf content. I'd love to hear that. Well, I mean, I, I haven't even looked at the odds or anything. I, like, I know I'll be yeah. playing FanDuel or DraftKings or one of those things, but I'm also... Yeah, I'll be in, losing some money on there. Yeah, sure. I'm also <laughs> in, in, like, box pools and stuff where you have to, you know, choose from, from a list of players so that one can get a little bit more difficult because there's a couple players I really like and I have to pick between the two of them Um, but I mean I don't know if he's going to win I mean DeChambeau is obviously a betting Mm -hmm. favorite at this point in time I don't even care about that I just can't wait to see the the lines the aggressive lines that this guy is going to be ripping over trees (laughs) and like it's crazy and it's going to look so different without the patrons man it's going to look so weird Well, you're actually going to get to see the golf course uh, more, which I which I, I love. And I think for this specific course in general, I think all of us are going to love. Which and I've really enjoyed about the return to golf with the no fans being there. Talk about a sport that I kind of almost prefer the fans not to be there. I can actually see the golf course, mm-hmm. uh, and as a golf fan, I really enjoy that. I can't wait to see Bryson hammering some drives, man. I I bet him months ago at a pretty good number, and uh, to now to now have him as the betting favorite going in, I feel like I already won because I've got that line value. <laughs> I've uh, already Bryson won. <laughs> but my actual my actual pick before I sign off is John Rom. I I think John Rom 
uh, is going to be the guy that gets it done. There's a, a bunch of guys I like. I like Patrick Cantley as well. Uh, Tyrrell Hatton's another guy that can really get hot with the irons and, and get hot with the putter. But John Rahm will be my official show pick that I'll give you before I sign off. Nice. Okay. I like a Cantley yeah. pick as well. Yeah, Cant- Cantley seems it, the course seems to set up really well for him coming off of a win a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it does seem like he's in he's in good form. Cantley's a guy that could make my betting card actually. Well, well, you know what? I feel like he's one of the like again. I don't I don't know anything about these players, but just from what I see on the TV, I feel like Cantley's got one of the best demeanors on the tour. Yeah, as in yeah. like I don't care about anything. I'm just hitting this golf shot into the cup. He seems unfazed, and he's played unfazed. well at, at Augusta as well. And I like the form coming in. I, you know, I usually when I'm looking at golf bets, I'm looking at two things. I'm looking at form. How have you been playing the past handful of months? And course history. How do you play that course? Are you comfortable there? Uh, what's your history like? Uh, and he kind of checks both boxes. He just won a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he's played well at Augusta before. So Cantley could be uh, a guy to keep uh, keep an eye on. Uh, but like I said, John Rahm, I think, is my favorite pick uh, going into next week at Augusta. I can't wait to watch some golf. Oh, I know. It's going to be great. Me and Lesko were just saying before he took off, like with, with not a whole lot going on, I know we're a hockey podcast. I said, I'm going full out. I said, I don't even care what you say. If you don't want to yeah. do it, then just stay home. I said, I, I'm, yeah, you, we're, we're going I'll, golf. I'll co-host with you. I'll, I'll take a spot for the golf podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he's into it. He likes to throw some money down too. Perfect. So we're going to have a nice chat about that. But that was great. That was a good little wrap up. And it makes me even more excited for next week. I mean, I can't believe it's already next week, man. Like it was, can- yeah. it was canceled when it should have happened in the spring. And now we're getting it like with snow on the ground. Like it seems so weird. Well, it it, it weird. does seem weird, but but we got a we got a big gap of sports right now. Unless you're a huge football fan, I certainly am. I love college. I love the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got something on the weekends, but not a whole lot going on during the week right now. Things are kind of slow. Uh, this should kind of wrap up the golf season at least for a couple months. And what what a way to do it, uh, Augusta in November. I, I can't wait to see the uh, the fall vibes in Augusta. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's almost gonna be it's gonna be very sad on Sunday. I'm gonna be I'm gonna oh, be yeah. like nostalgic and and angry and sad and depressed. <laughs> and excited all at the same time on Sunday because we know it's coming to an end and then we have basically nothing for a while, you know, probably well, for unless, a while. Unless Tiger wins, then you'll be doing cartwheels. I, I, know, <laughs> I know you're a big Tiger guy, so you'll, you'll, be, you'll be doing cartwheels. If you well, do. I was in Mexico when he won last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 that was one of my favorite days of the year, actually, yes. watch, watching that all go down. And uh, it was actually during the NHL playoffs. It was, right. would have been obvious, obviously a Sunday in April. Uh, and one of my best friends, actually at the time, playing for the the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, was was really was really fun to just have him, you know, playing in the playoffs and you know, sort of following him. I became uh, kind of a Penguins fan for the time being, and I had his game on, and I had Tiger Woods playing Sunday at Augusta on on two TVs, uh, and I've never sweat so much at noon on Sunday. <laughs> you know, my my buddy scores a playoff goal, which I'm just going nuts about. Tigers making birdie putts, and I'm uh, I was just going nuts. So I'll be uh, that's one of the more memorable days uh, for me in my life, really. Yeah, and for, <laughs> and for me, it's a it's a yin and yang of of memorable moments because on the on the one side, I'm in the room. Uh, in Mexico and I'm not doing anything. I'm just watching the screen and it's just unbelievable. Uh, and then on the other side, I got the fiance out by the pool going, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what, I'm here to watch. <laughs> we are in Mexico. You yeah. loser. You know, like, and then I had her go into like a Canadian bar, like a Canadian owned the bar on the Island in Mexico and served Putin and had the Leafs game on, and there were several several other Leaf fans and a couple of Bruins fans that were actually there uh, to watch the oh, game. It couldn't have been better. 
It's, it's like you guys never left. It's like, you know. Know, it's like you never left home, right? I know. So we both agreed. No more uh, vacations in April. So when the world gets back to normal, we'll pro- try and take our vacations in the off season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, right. anyway, anyways, it was, it was great coming on, Josh. Uh, anytime you want me on, you just give me the text and I'll, I'll be on right away. So always a good time. Glad to hear you're doing well. Right on, buddy. You too, man. Thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care, brother. Cheers. You too. All right, so that's Jay Kahn, Sirius XM NHL Network Radio Channel 91. I didn't get him to say it. I've uh, gotten Tyler to try and – Tyler Matter as also a friend of the show. I've gotten him on several occasions to try, try and say the tagline. I think he screwed it up once before uh, on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, an interesting episode. Let's go joining me for the first half and then just Jake and myself towards the end. But thanks for sticking around with us. That was a great cho- great chat. Uh, with Jake, lots to lots to go over. I feel like he honestly doesn't get an opportunity to even talk too much about the Leafs um, on series. So, kind of opened up the lid a little bit there with him, and uh, he was really chatty on the Leafs. So that was fun. Thanks again to Jake for joining us. Can't wait till next week. Got an unbelievable show lined up for you guys. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Make sure you tune in. Probably going to drop earlier in the week. I'm hoping Monday. Uh, or Tuesday, but we definitely want to get it out there before the Masters because as we just uh, alluded to, lots of Masters talk and a uh, great special guest coming on for that one. So we will see you guys again next week. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at PuckPod, at Adam at Coleman42. Drop us a line. Pick up some merch. Pick it up on galantmedia.ca slash shop. I think that was right. I'm not 100% sure. But once again, thanks for joining us. Episode 69 is a wrap. Pucks Indie Podcast. We'll see you guys again next week.